Rocky's always like, you call too much, so maybe on a podcast I can just sit here and do this all day. <laughs> Rocky, do, do the, would you do the peacock? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Even Tom makes fun. Ready, Tom? Okay, here we go. Everybody, appreciate you joining us. Chad Belding, your host of This Life Ain't For Everybody, another podcast, another day. It's Friday, middle of April. We finally got some nice weather here in our area of the United States of America, this beautiful country that we live in. Going to be a high about 68. We're going to have a little fish fry tonight as well as a wild game feed. And for that, a couple of my good friends, they become great friends right across the state line in the great state of California. You guys have seen Mr. Rocky Merlot on the episodes of The Foul Life several times. You've also heard me talking about, seen Brad Forsyth all over our social media as well as episodes. Um, I just want to introduce these guys as salt-of-the-earth human beings. And the number one thing that comes to mind with both of them is work ethic. They're both entrepreneurs, business owners in the area of Chico, California. Rocky makes his living in farming, farm management, almonds. I call them almonds. He calls them almonds. Walnuts, you name it, he grows it. Rice, he's uh, into Merlot waterfowl with his waterfowl hunting guide service outfitting service leasing blinds and brad works in the construction and engineering uh, industry he has a huge passion for number one people number two hunting so um there's nothing about opposites attract here we're all cut from the same cloth welcome guys rocky we'll start with you thank you for being up here i hope the flight was okay what was it about 23 minutes 42 42 minutes <laughs> how was it was it bumpy no Smooth as smooth as silk. Coming okay. over the mountains was smooth, huh? There was no bumps. So you you just woke up today and decided, hey, I'm a, you know, I don't want to drive to Reno. It's three hours. I'm just going to take the plane and hop over to Chad's place. Yeah. It was and it was worth it, huh? I think it so. I got think? I got the call yesterday. It said, hey, uh, be at the airport at 9 a.m. I'm like, airport. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. When we, you're rolling with Rock. Yeah. And then you guys are like, um, we're taking the Escalade. And I'm like, what Escalade? And Rocky's like, oh, i got an Escalade now. So something's going on there in that farming world. And I'm, I think we need to get into it, Brad. That's right. I just, I'll ride his coattails all the way through. <laughs> just, yeah, just sit there and pick up the crumbs. Yeah. Well, you know, when you're, you're the last name Merlot ends in a vowel. Merlot, that's an O. That means there's some Italian descent. He comes from an Italian family. He has the family in Italy. Um, we, I want to start this off with just talking a little bit about the roots of Rock Merlot. His dad, Larry, was a um, pioneer, a trailblazer, one of the original um, OGs of California waterfowl hunting. The entire Merlot family um, was a huge part of the reason that the Butte Sink in that area of the country is so sought after now as far as duck clubs go as far as places like rancho esquan go if you look up rancho esquan mr ken hoffman owns it he donated it back to the california waterfowl association to use it for different events but but rocky's dad larry was responsible for that rocky just tell me a little bit about who was larry what did he stand for and what did he do that drove this work ethic and this passion for hunting and not just hunting but giving back and i've seen you give back so much to kids women conservation california waterfowl talk to me a little bit about your dad larry and what he meant to your overall being today um well dad uh started guiding back when he was about 17 
and uh, back then, you know, farming was really tough to to make any money in. Uh, but the hunters out of San Francisco and Sacramento um, would spend pretty good money to come out. And so my dad started his little guide service working with a guy named Jim Altenberg at um, the Lano Seco Ranch. And back then it was called Mallard Ponds. Uh, and they started guiding and taking clients. And then in 1981, uh, dad left the uh, Lano Seco and started his own uh, duck club called Butte Creek Gun Club, which is now called um, the uh, Ranch Westquan. Back then it was Adams Ranch. So that's really where it all kind of took off from there. Um, again, farming was still pretty, it was tough to make a living in it. Um, but the hunting brought really good income for 90 days. And so for 75 to 90 days, dad would be out at the duck club every day, sun up, sundown, bringing people in. My mom and him, uh, worked tirelessly there, uh, geez, all the way up until his passing, which was in 2005. Um, they were just put all their heart and soul into the experience for others. And, and that's kind of where you are now since 2005 when Mr. Larry passed away. You have become kind of that cornerstone of not just the Merlot family and the Merlot name and reputation in that area of California, but your reputation with with conservation and, like I said before, getting women and kids involved in the outdoors, that was your dad's vision. Your dad did that. He introduced new people to the outdoors, and the passion that he instilled in you is daily. I know you're a circus. I know that you're nonstop in business. I know that you got just texting and calls and nonstop responsibilities because you're literally have a certain time frame window of opportunity to make your living in farming and farm management and hunting. So when you have that much responsibility and you still take the time that you do out of your days to make sure that little Joey and Rico are taken care of, not just your own kids, but kids all over the state of California, that's something that Larry wanted. And that's why his legacy lives on forever because you're doing that on a daily basis. You agree? Correct. And we, we, we had so much growing up. I mean, we had the best duck hunting and the best deer hunting and fishing and all that. And, you know, it was, now it's so hard for kids to get on to anything that is really truly um, high end or, or have lots of opportunity to take game or catch fish. And so these, uh, these places that we have, whether they're leased or their own, um, we want to get kids on them. And that's why I just reach out to all these kids all the time. Um, and I try to get women for their first experience involved um, to try to get them into the um, hunting world try to hook them, uh, especially if we can hook them in their early 20s, late teens. Uh, we get them in there, and then they'll continue that on. And my, my, my goal with that is is that as these women, as they, if you can hook them, and as they come into marriage, they get married. And if they married some guy that doesn't like to hunt, he's going to hunt. And then the kids will hunt because mom wants to hunt. And the ideology behind that is some people look at it and you're like, uh, you, you see this attitude in different aspects of our country and in, in, in many ways is why bring somebody new into something that we enjoy doing so much and it's limited time, limited resources. The migration might not cooperate. You have droughts to worry about. You have too much rain in your area. The rivers get out, makes it tough. The birds spread out. There's so many things that go into dictating the success of a waterfowl hunting, not to mention your waterfowl outfitting service. 
a lot of people be like, dude, why are you bringing so many people around? They're going to be taken. That's not the, that's not the point. The point is, is that in 20 years from now, when you're in your eighties, you're, or I take that back. Rock's going to be in his seventies. You're 50 right now. So in 20 years, when you're 70 years old and you're not hunting as much, that has to be continued by somebody and Rico and Joey and those kids and the kids and the women that you're introduced. And then those women that you introduced to it, love it so much. They have their own kids. They get them into the outdoors. We have to make sure that that's continued all everything from being a manufacturer of duck and goose hunting products. We want that new customer base. We want people with new blood coming into this sport, but more important than that, we want that next generation to carry on that tradition and that passion of the outdoors because we are fighting for those freedoms every day. We have to have new blood pumped into it. And you've said it yourself. You go to a lot of banquets in ducks unlimited or CWA. There's a lot of old money involved. We got to get new people involved as far as volunteers, money coming in the donut, the donors, the workers, everything that happens. We got, we have to have that next generation involved. And that's why you do what you do. And that's where we're seeing the work ethic part of it, where you talked about at the beginning, you're looking at these dinner committees you know, usually there's a, a big group of younger individuals in their mid-20s that come in and take over a dinner, mid-20s to early 30s. We're not seeing that anymore. Um, not like when Brad and I were on the Chico Committee of California Waterfowl Association. We took that over in 99, and we were going hard, and we had a big committee. It was about 14, 13, 14 of us, and it was a lot of fun. Um, you do not see committees transitioning into older committees and pushing them out anymore like that you might see one or two individuals come uh but then they'll ask their friends and their friends don't mind coming to the dinner they just don't want to put out the effort and so that's why um i think that providing opportunity uh quality opportunity for kids and younger women uh will help us you know bring those people into the sport because if they see what if they can raise the money or earn the money, what, you know, making that dollar and learning how to spend it right, you can get good hunting and fishing still today, but you have to invest and you're just not going to go walk out to a refuge and shoot seven ducks. If you've not invested your time and energy and build your contacts and so forth. And, and not to mention the, the opportunity that you provide them at a young age and getting them, you know, I guess honed in their skills. Their skill like, sets. You can't just walk out into a public marsh and throw twelve decoys out and think you're going to kill a limit of, you know, your couple, your one or two sprig and your mallards and a few widge. And you have to. There's a lot of tricks to learn, and that's what I always see you consistently doing is, whether it's calling, calling competitions, youth events like the big, the big event that Pat Kittles and Calusa throws. You're always involved. You're always donating. The 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 bottom line is is that i don't want to get off of larry right now we are going to go more into cwa and what you're doing with them as a board member and all the help and 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 passion that you have for that conservation agency which is truly an amazing story in itself with cwa the more i've learned over the last you know 36 months going into my fourth year being involved with you in the cwa it blows my mind still every i mean i i will literally just be sitting in my office and think of egg salvage and how amazing it is but we'll get into that but i want to get to brad real quick brad you you you've known rock you long time you guys went to college together you knew each other before college you've been running together consistently since your days at chico state together which we all know used to be in playboy 
Boy Magazine is one of the top party schools in America. Exactly. There was a lot of fun had around that area. And you guys had fun. But you guys also understood that there was one thing that stands out when I'm around you guys is that family is everything. And talk to me a little bit about Larry and what he meant to you and some of your experiences with him. And just kind of give me an eye. I didn't know Larry. I've only known Rocky. I've known of Rocky since 2001, 2002, but I've only known Rocky as a friend for the last three, four years. And Larry's been gone since 05. So just tell me a little bit about the man he was and what he meant to you. Well, you, you mentioned the term salt of the earth and, and Larry Merlo was pretty much a dictionary description of salt of the earth. I, I came up here, I grew up in Napa, California and started more fishing and a little bit of hunting and came up here to, to Chico state to go to college and just fell in love with the outdoor life up here and through mutual friends and friends that you know, Chris Ravencroft and everything, I, I met Rocky Merlo. And, you know, we come from different backgrounds and everything, but we didn't take us long to become good friends. And we hunted and fished together all through the valley. And, and through a lot of these trips, we were with Larry. And, and, you know, Rocky leaned on him a lot for knowledge of waterfowl, knowledge of fishing. I mean, Larry knew this valley like no other. And he was just, Rocky's a very prominent businessman very you know he's just he's a very professional guy larry was just salt of the earth one of the guys you you meet one time and just feel like you've known him your whole life and uh he was, he was almost like another dad and we'd go out and fishing and hey dad and i are headed to the river let's go you know we'd be out there till dark and just his knowledge of the valley and i'm you know i can remember several striper fishing trips with him and salmon fishing trips and uh, i got a chance to go out and hunt uh, Rancho Escuan a couple times. Larry set that up for me and just an amazing man. Amazing man. And, and you talk about, you know, salt of the earth with Larry and, you know, we all know Rocky is successful. He's sure. growing a net worth. He's sure. growing an empire down there. But here's, here's, I remember this is that nobody in that area to me has more money than Ken Hoffman. You know, I don't know many people in the world. I've met a real life billionaire when I met Ken Hoffman sure, sure. and he, you would never know he had a dime with the way he treated me. Right. And he looked at me at the dinner table at Rancho Esquan one night and he said, nobody was richer than Larry Merlo. Right. And he goes, I don't, he didn't care how much money he had. Right. But because of what he was doing on a daily basis, mm -hmm. he was fulfilled. Yeah. And I think that that is really the money comes and I think that that's why Rocky's been successful. You've been successful. You see success because you find that niche and you find something that it really doesn't feel like you're going to work. And when Ken said that, I was like, man, Larry must have been loaded. And no, learning more about him, he wasn't. You know, he didn't inherit money. Nah, it wasn't a money thing. It wasn't a money thing. He yeah. was fulfilled because of what he did on a daily basis. Sure. And when you have a real-life billionaire financially like Ken Hoffman saying that nobody was richer than Larry Merlo, that means something. Right. So if you take that attitude and you raise your kids like Rocky's doing with, with Rico and Joey right now, the same way that Clay does with Chase, I do with Alyssa, is that we are privileged. We, we're not going to hide it. We get to do a lot of neat things in life, but we work hard. And as long as you teach that responsibility and that dedication and that passion and that work ethic into the next generation, like Rocky does in the waterfowl area. He takes a lot of young kids under his wing in the farming. He doesn't care if they go on to build their own farm. He, he he's, he works with them. Mm -hmm. So that, that was all the, the beginning of this podcast was dedicated because you know, we've dedicated episodes of the foul life to Mr. Larry. There's a lot to, to be said out of the us sitting at this table today is because of him. And if, if Rocky didn't treat me the way he did the first time he met me and the reason he did that, was because the way he was brought up by Mr. Larry. If he wouldn't have done that, we wouldn't be sitting here today. He took me under his wing. He, he, he's literally 
introduced me to everybody in the state of California and my, the doors that have opened and the opportunity that's presented itself is amazing. So the moral of the story is Larry Merlo was rich. And sure. now because of how he lived his life, there's a lot of different people that are successful because of that, that blood was ingrained in their veins. Oh yeah. And you know, when you talk about, when you talk about your guys's, you know, your friendship and you brought up Ravencroft, he'll be here a little bit later. That's another guy. I don't, I would never have a, a talk with you and Rocky without talking about Ravencroft. And the, the only word that comes to my mind for that guy is love. Like that was one guy that will literally stop what he's doing. And again, that's, that is the heart of a hunter. And every time that he does something for me, he doesn't ask anything in return. And he's just like, Hey, we're buds. That's what buds do for each other. Exactly. And, and I, I'm telling you, that's exactly what Larry would want. And I think that what Larry did as a man has rubbed off in, in one way or another with rock, with you, with Ravencroft, with Jackson, everybody that I've met that runs in your guys' circle was influenced and affected by Larry Merlo. I guarantee you. And I think that the, re the reason that I talk about it so much is that I lost my dad at an early age at 54 years old, and he was the same way. I had no idea how famous, quote-unquote famous, my dad was in this area until his funeral. Right. You just don't know. And when you get to that, that church and you're standing room only and there's 2,000 people in there, and you're going, wow. This, this is amazing. You, you really see what life's all about. My dad was a union plumber. He wasn't a millionaire. He raised three boys on a, maybe an $80,000 a year salary with my mom working her butt off to get her master's degree in nursing. And every single thing that they did in life, every piece that they put together every day in life was for their kids. And now I look back at it and go, man, this is, I'm the way I am because of my dad always said, you were put on this earth to work. And that's what Rocky does is you work. And that's kind of what I wanted to get out of this whole message at the beginning of this deal is why are people afraid to work? It's easy to say something about somebody. Hey, he's getting lucky or he inherited that or he's a premium, whatever it is. Just work, right, Rock? Yep. Yeah, you got to get up in the morning. And, you know, I live by a, you know, dad always said, you know, Sunday's a Monday, a Saturday's a Thursday. Um, Six o'clock in the evening. Might as well be three o'clock. If you have something to do, you get it done, you know, because we, we did, we hunted and fished a lot. And, you know, in order to go at the times when it was right, you had to have your work done or caught up. And so if you took weekends off in our business, well, if it was right on a Tuesday and the hatch was going on on Butte Creek, you couldn't go. You didn't have all your stuff done. You know, so you, you, we juggled our time. We weren't, we weren't travelers. We didn't go to Hawaii. We didn't go to the Bahamas. We didn't go to Europe until much later in life. Uh, but our but we had so many mini vacations on streams that you or I today. You know, I saw I saw trout in streams where you go hook 110 trout in an afternoon from three to eight o'clock because the hatch was right, and it's 45 minutes from our from Chico. Yep. Okay, on a stream. Mm -hmm. And those days, even though we have the stream still, we've gone through droughts and so in different things, um, it, it, the trout, the fisheries are suffering now. But I got to experience them with him in the 80s and 90s um, and early 2000s. I, I, I experienced things that were unbelievable. You'd pay $500, $600 a day to experience a trip like that. No, yeah. and, and, you know, and so these, these other hunting trips that we did, and we did it all local. You know, it was all within a hundred mile radius of us. And, you know, that's where we learned our skill sets. And that's why today it's, you know, we have really good hunting where we're at. 
today and because of him and the leases we have and so forth. Um, and we know the area. Um, you know, we're starting to venture out a little bit. I am um, going to go get to go with you in July and uh, to Argentina, which I never thought I'd ever go there. Um, that sounds exciting. Um, Went to Colorado. Colorado this ago. year on a hawker hunt, and, dev- and that's now our you know mainstay for every Super Bowl Sunday. I'll be there. <laughs> it was it was a blast. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you know, traveling outside, you know, going to Mexico fishing and stuff like that. But it's because we. We, we work hard, lots of hours. Um, there's no 40-hour work week in my business. Um, it's unfortunate. We lose some really good people that come and want to work with us, but they want the 40, and it's just not part of our business. So. Yeah, you it, being in that industry or any industry as a business owner and you're looking to hire somebody, that's one of the main things I, w- I look for is you you can't do a lot in 40 hours. And I'm not saying that, they're going to be like me and just work nonstop every day or, or I'm going to be like somebody that works that much. You know, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that I want to look for somebody that just goes, they don't look at their paycheck. They look at the results that we're getting and the success that we're forming as a team. And in your market, when you have a good crop and, and, and the almonds are, or the almonds are in the bin and the dryer and the walnuts are in and you go to market with them and it's a successful harvest, that team feels like a team, like a, they won a championship. And that's what you look for in life is somebody that puts so much into their craft. They don't ask, Hey, is it time to leave yet? It's five o'clock and I'm out. They're like, you know, it's like four fifty nine and they're clocking out already. You don't, I, I look at that as kind of like, I get it. We all have our families. We all have life outside of work, but like we have employees here that literally it'll be six, seven o'clock at night and I'll come into the studio and Tom will still be sitting here just rocking it. And he, he'll, ask for a vacation here and there, but it's very rare for them to say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to clock out early and not work. And it's because we love what we're doing. We're creating some really cool things. And when you said that, what you said is that most people look forward to Friday at five o'clock for the weekend. I like to look forward to Sunday night because my wheels are turning. And I'm like Monday, all everybody's back on their work phones and everybody's in that vibe again. And I've been itching to get back at it. So I, I live for Sunday night so I can get ready to, to rock again during the week. And I don't get me wrong. My daughter and my friends and my family and my fun are very important, but I, I just love work. And I think that if more people figured out that work is where it's at, that creates all that other stuff, like at 50 and being able to go to the Bahamas, you could have went to the Bahamas a long time ago, but you were working, working. responsibility. And that's what it takes. It's not a free ride. So I love that about it. I, I love workers straight up and you know we could talk about that a lot but i want to talk a little bit about what you just touched on rock and i'm gonna ask brad first why is what does california offer why is it special and if i want to fly there from north dakota or nashville tennessee to hunt am i going to have a good experience yeah i think so i think when you know when the conditions are right i i think the butte sink area and and that the pacific flyway i think it's some of the best hunting you can find in the whole United States and, and, you know, you've got moderate temperatures, you're, you know, you're not freezing in the winter time and it's pretty comfortable and there's just so many different, we've got such a goose population and different, you know, marshes and rice fields. And there's a lot of, you can hunt some timber too. There's a lot of variations on what you can do in California. And it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's typically in the top three, I believe in total waterfowl harvest in the country with right up there with, 
Louisiana, Arkansas for total ducks. You know, I'm not talking just one certain species of duck. I'm talking total harvest. There's a lot of duck hunters and goose hunters in the state of California. There is a lot of opportunity for fishing and turkeys and blacktail and mule deer and antelope and predators. And then you get into upland game and you get into waterfowl. It's an unbelievable state, which has a rap of being los angeles and traffic and smog and and the beaches and 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 rodeo drive but if you get up by you know chico and north you get up by cedarville you get up by honey lake california is amazing i'm not saying the rest i love san diego i love los angeles everybody's like i hate i-5 traffic i do too it's a it's it's a burden right but la is awesome i love being down there it's just a cool vibe down there and and i just when you touched on that, I just think of like where Rocky does a lot of his goose hunting. You drive 40 miles from there, Rock. The difference between the 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 landscape of the Butte Sink and where you hunt specs at, I mean, it's night and day, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a big transition as you go to the west. Once you cross over that river, the Sacramento River, when you cross and go to the west, it all changes over there. It's <clears throat> There's less water, um, more dry rice fields over there. And the greenery's out over there. A lot of things are treeing up. A lot of orchards are being planted now. So, but, you know, you were touching on some of the places in California. You know, when you're in Chico uh, or at the Sutter Buttes, uh, you're three hours to San Francisco. Okay. I mean, you're on the coast. Um, you know, below that, we're six hours, seven hours to Los Angeles. So, I mean, it is. I mean, we can get places pretty quick in our state. Um, you know, and our, our fisheries are really strong. Brad and I, you know, our, our, some of our fondest memories were Brad and I together on the Sacramento river, you know, salmon fishing and the uh, wolf pack, the wolf pack. Wait, <laughs> I got, whoa, 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 whoa. who, who was, who was guiding you guys? We were guiding. Other <laughs> we, we were gu- we, <laughs> yeah. we guided. Okay. We, well, whose yeah. boat was you? <laughs> whose boat was it? <laughs> we had, we had, uh, we each had uh, design concepts and, you know, we're talking 99 and 2000, 98, 2002. You know, this, the fishery was super strong. We had 100 and some odd thousand salmon coming up the river. and uh, We'd go out there after work. You know, sometimes we get out there at 630 in the evening, sometimes 7, sometimes 3 o'clock, just depending on what we had that day. Um, and we'd get out there in the afternoon and just slaughter the salmon. Uh, we'd put four guys in the boat, have eight fish within an hour. Which, When you say salmon, which species are we talking about? chinooks the king salmon the, the king salmon, king and, salmon. And, and if i'm out on the river with you guys and i i i'm a buddy and i say i want to catch a chinook what am i what are you going to hand me you're gonna what is it a what what weight rod what kind of line and what are they hitting on back in the day when the when the numbers were really high we did a lot of back trolling of flatfish with a sardine wrap and a crawdad wrap that type thing there was so many numbers in the river back then they would stack up in the holes and um, salmon aren't feeding when they're coming up the river out of the ocean. So you're, you're, they're aggressive fish. You're trying to get a flash in front of them, something to trigger their instinct, something to get them to attack. And when they're in large numbers like that, they're pretty, they're irritable fish and they go after things. So that was the, that was our mainstay. We drag row too and, and back bounce row a little bit, but mostly back then it was flat fishing and, um, um, it was really successful. I mean, we had clients, I had several clients tell me, that the, that fishery was stronger than Alaska. They had been to Alaska before, and, not. and what? So what happened? Um, drought years, majorly. Um, some mismanagement in the state. Um, don't want to point fingers, but the the California Fishing Game tried some 
some things where they took the fingerlings down towards the bay to release them because they're worried about predation, you know, of the, of the babies going down. The problem with that is, is those those fingerlings don't imprint on the river. And it's been proven that, you know, a lot, it's kind of a myth that a salmon will go back to exactly where he was born when, when they travel back from the ocean up to the river system. Not necessarily true. They go to where the, to the water conditions are, are right. So uh, if these fish aren't imprinted on the river like last year, that was supposed to be a, a lot better run coming back. They came in through the, the bay system, the Sacramento River system, and then the water conditions were better on the American and the feather, and they branch off and go up there. So the, the last couple of years has been probably the worst couple of years I've seen in the last 20 years on that river. I mean, it was, used to be a guarantee. We'd, we'd, does it ever have potential to come back? Oh, yeah. It, uh, I mean, nature will find a way. I, I think, you know, I think man might have been a little too involved with that. You let nature take over, it'll find its way back. We need good water conditions, good rain years. Um, it, it, it's a cycle, and I, I'm fully expected to come back. So, Rock, you talk on this now, and that, that's the Chinook and that's the King Salmon. The other specialty that you guys have shown me on that river, that fishery, I, we call that river a fishery because it is it's all it can be awesome. Sure. And stripers is the other species that you guys have concentrated on over the last 15, 20 years. What, now the same question, Rocky, I get on your boat and you're going to hand me what for a striper? I know there's different applications and different approaches, but what, what would your go-to be for me to catch a healthy striper? Well, I, there's, there's multiple ways to do it, but my preference is trolling and again more of the artificials we would troll a, a you know like a, a imitation six inch fish broken back and then we put a little teeny teaser tail on the back of it some scents on it and then we would troll the river at about 2.2 miles an hour um, and then depending on the depth that the fish were in we would add some weight or not take some weight off but that's been our kind of our our mainstay um that works very well like right now right now is prime time for the stripers uh both on the sack and the feather river uh the the, the stripers will come up the feather for a couple of weeks and then those conditions on that water will change and they know that they're it's not good spawning water they'll zip back down to the sack and then the sack will load up so for the next let's say three to four weeks we're going to have a lot of stripers in the sack and the feather um, we'll go out in the evenings or early mornings, um, you know, and as the river starts to clear from the snow melt or the rains, as we start to clear, the fish will uh, start shying away from the plugs because the stripers are coming up and they're just kind of cleaning house on all bait fish that are in the river. And they're, again, predatory and they're trying to protect their spawning beds. So where they're going to lay their eggs and Stripers are unique because they don't spawn in gravel um, like other fish do, salmon and steelhead. They actually span on the, the spawn on the surface of the water. And the males come up and hit the females, knock the eggs out of her, and then they fertilize them. And then the baby uh, stripers hatch as they're floating down the river. So as those stripers come up in schools, they're killing and cleaning everything up that they can to protect their um, young. So... As the season progresses along, um, the water will clear. and Then we'll go do some things like drifting minnows, and uh, we'll fish at night more. Um, and that's when it really gets exciting for us. 
Um, night fishing? Night fishing. That's yeah, a lot of fun. Well, stripers are predominantly a, a nocturnal fish. They, they like to be the, the bigger, bigger fish. fish when, feed you at say, night. when you say nocturnal, the same as like a coyote or a, or a, a white-tailed deer or a mallard duck feeding at night or, or being active at night. Yes, very right. active. Yeah. And so they just rest in the heat of the day. They'll get find some shade and just sit under a rock and, and just be lazy as yeah, heck. Those 15 to 25-pound fish this time of the year will tend not to – be real aggressive in the middle of the day when the light's out. Because we understand there's boats running up and down the river and so forth. Uh, once 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock hits, the river calms down. Everybody goes home. There's only a few diehards out there, such as ourselves. And <laughs> it, it gets real interesting from 10 on at so night. Why Why would you catch a striper, though? Do they fight good? Because you guys don't eat them, do you? Pound for pound, they fight better than a, than a salmon. They're the, yeah. I me personally, I think they're best eating freshwater fish in California. So they, so that, the I, I said that in a sarcastic way because yeah. I have. They're awesome. They're unbelievably good eating. Mild. Now you, you just said they're your favorite freshwater fish on the west coast. I have had a chance. Even to, are you including Alaska and Hawaii and, and halibut in that uh, statement? That fresh best freshwater fish. I, oh, you're saying yeah. that okay, freshwater fish. Yeah. Okay, so you're saying in the West United States in freshwater, yes, that the striper is better than anything anything i've ever eaten i don't eat a lot of trout we do much of the catch and release with trout but yeah so the other freshwater good. fish in america that have a great edible reputation are sturgeon walleye sturgeon yes crappie yes speckled trout in louisiana redfish in louisiana those are the five that come to mind you're saying a striper is as good as any of those even though they're in the in the different parts of the country in my personal oh, yeah. opinion Stripers from what really i've heard good. yeah it's a mild Black, blackened fried grilled anything anything just yeah. a lot of lemon and some pepper or uh, what it's amazing you don't even hardly have to season a striped bass well we've done we've we've done we've made pots of striper chowder and we didn't what do you mean? Oh, we I made you made the striper chowder. <laughs> that sounds hey, whoa, whoa! It's really I've known good. you this it's long, and I when can we have some? It's good. I have the recipe at home. Wait, but to do that, we're gonna have to get some fish from somebody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we're up here. Should we call Jack? No, we can call <laughs> Jackson because I know y'all ain't catching them. No, we're Sunday. We'll be back on it Sunday afternoon. I would yeah. love to try that. Yeah, yeah. it's it's fantastic. It's really? Next week's really? a big week. Yeah. So next week, so right now, the way the conditions are. The fish has started. The rivers are clearing up. The fish are coming in right now. It's just starting. We've had an un amazing sturgeon run this year. Uh, the sturgeon run have been off the chart. A lot of fish caught. Um, the rivers, the river with the, the heavy rains that we had, the 40 inches of rain we had last year and the heavy snowpack, it, it doesn't take long, as Brad said earlier, for these rivers to cycle from, out the, from these droughts. You know, we went through four years of drought. It hurt all the fisheries, trout, salmon, bass, doesn't matter. <clears throat> so uh, the duck populations, the pheasants, uh, last year was an amazing winter. This year we thought we were going into a drought, and we've actually turned out to be an amazing um, March and uh, April. So the weather came at the right time. Um, the, the, the snowpack, we got some decent snowpack. The lakes are filling up. The rivers are high and running good. The streams are running good. The grass is growing. So our nesting habitat is going to be off the hook for the ducks in the upland. Um, there's a lot of little bugs being hatched for the ducklings. So they're going to have a good, strong food source. Um, I'm, I'm optimistic that this is going to be a good year. It's going to help everything. Would you say the, the main reason of optimism right now we were talking about this in our state of nevada the other day is the late rains really help us up here and a lot of our fisheries a lot of our horn growth on big game animals elk deer antelope sheep um 
we can't, it seems like we're not, we've been getting more precipitation in March throughout last month. I think it was like number three or four. You guys know Tom Rashishin. He's a, a, our master skier on staff here. He works with Rocky quite a bit. Um, Tom, as far as what's going on with our local snowpack right now, are we on schedule? Are we behind the times? Or what What are we going to be, what do we have to look forward to from this, the Sierras as a whole, from the ski resorts all the way down to like the Feather River in, in that area? Well, I don't know if I'm fully qualified, but uh, I last year we had record-breaking snow. I think we had over 800-something inches up at Mount Rose. Uh this year we had a terrible winter uh we had probably next to next to nothing uh january and february until march really hit and uh then we finally started to you know come around for this winter so i'm kind of hoping that this late spring is going to bring the water that we're going to desperately need because um, i think they said that that last winter we came out of the this you know crazy drought that came we out of in. it yeah yeah Tom, the reason that I wanted you to come over here is that we start talking about fishing and, and I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm real optimistic about going down to Chico and we haven't even been invited yet for next week, but I'm thinking that <laughs> here we go, because man. I just heard Rocky say that Rocky yeah. just said that next week is the week. Did you hear him? Yeah. So I, I hear that. Rocky. Okay. So let's assume that we go Tom. Because I think we're going to get the invite. Because it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Even if they're nocturnal, we, we can stay up late, drink a Red Bull. Rocky, are you going to guarantee that we catch a fish on you or Brad Forsyth's boat next week if we drive three hours? Or if you send your plane? One of the two. I mean, I'm just <laughs> dropping a hint there. <laughs> There's never a guarantee. We, uh, we do really well when you guys aren't around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I think strange. it might be <laughs> yeah. maybe live a little cleaner life. <laughs> do some things pray <laughs> Catholic, <laughs> the enrollment the catholic I, churches is down maybe hit the church yeah Sunday. wow you're saying that i don't have a good relationship <laughs> with god i'm not living right and that's the reason we don't we literally have been on their boats Tom, tell me if i'm wrong we went we've went been going down the river and they'd be like right here is the spot we'll go over it troll it We'll look back. The boat behind us will be hooked up, just hammering one in that spot. Huh? That did happen. That I, do, did I happen. do remember seeing that. <laughs> yeah, that was one night. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the bandit crew has been, uh, yeah. That been was a, only the one time they came. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I just want to get some pictures of fish. And what do we got to do, Tom? Tom's a really good photographer. Yeah. He's really good with Photoshop. He's good, yeah. He's Photoshop. Make that we'll work. put Chad on Ravencroft's boat. And then we'll just take Tom and watch what happens. Okay. Tom's clean living. Yeah. Dude, my nephew caught a 7.2-pound <laughs> brown at Almanor on yes, Ravencroft's yes. boat yes, last he year. Did. Maybe we, Ravencroft's the ticket. Maybe he is. Clean right. living. Well, maybe maybe she'd let him in the wolf pack. <laughs> <laughs> He's not in it anymore? This was way back, way back, way back in the day, before the hangover came yeah, out. Yeah, we 96. Pro- we had T-shirts and everything. Wolf pack fishing, yeah. <laughs> Tom, have you you've been at Rockies with us quite a bit over the last three years at camp down there it's i mean this far you don't hunt i mean it's no secret you're not a hunter you you've been with us for five years now but you've been dropping hints that i've been trying to go but do you really want to come yeah well let's do it at rockies we'll 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 uh we'll lose you you know what at rockies this year yeah. <laughs> but you've been hearing us talk a little bit today i mean it's awesome person just the whole aura of that place is cool down there isn't it yeah that i mean it, it truly is special i Really, honestly, my only experience of Chico and that whole Northern California Central Valley was uh, going to party with my college buddies. So I only knew Chico from 
college parties mm-hmm. and the uh, the smell that you get after uh, a couple nights down there. But <clears throat> now I just see that there's a lot of beauty in the the rivers and the the farming communities. There's a whole lot more to it down there. So yeah, it's been a pleasure to to meet you guys and get to experience what you guys have grown up with. You we like got, Fifth Street Steakhouse too, right? Uh, the Fifth Street Steakhouse. <laughs> That's yeah. one of his favorite spots. <laughs> Fifth Street Steakhouse in your shop. Yeah. I don't. I would. I would go. I've eaten pretty much every steakhouse in Omaha. I'd put Fish Street, and I'm not saying those are the best. It's, I'm not that guy that's going to go, that's the best steak ever, but I've never had a bad meal there. I've eaten the fish. I've eaten every steak they offer. We were there last week at, yep. for turkey camp, and they Rocky got us some steaks that night. I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, it's it's a legit, legit steakhouse. It's amazing, yeah. They do a great job there. Who Who is the the restauranteur there who who i know i i know eric but who owns that joint kevin riley and nick what's nick's last name yeah, kevin and nick and, kevin and, and, and nick they, they, they own bars yeah. and restaurants all through chico for years very successful guys very Mike successful Weir and, yeah. yeah there's a there's they a started off with riley's bar kevin riley's and then they had frankie's restaurant they've had mm-hmm. now they just remodeled la salle's made it into a high-end yeah. restaurant Tom, we're, we're getting ready to start a, a cooking deal that we're doing tonight with Traeger, and Tom's got to go out because he's going to film it. He's our resident filmer here today. But before he leaves, I wanted to just make sure that we're all on the same page. One, will we be invited next week? Two, whose boat will we be on? And three, will we catch a striper? Or is it salmon next week? It's stripers, it's stripers right all now. Right. What are the guarantees here? We're yeah. catching stripers what next is, week. That's a big guarantee. You know what? If they're in there, and the conditions are right, I you will, just said I would guarantee. Right. I guarantee you. He there. just it's said. All right, we'll guarantee you. We'll guarantee it's you. It's on. We will guarantee you'll have fun. It's, it's, it'll be next weekend. Oh. It's, 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 they're all twenty-five <laughs> pounder. Ah, this is not the uh, right time of year for the yeah, for the big ones. Yeah, this is a little later. For this that. the 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 big uh, big school of males come up. They're anywhere from three to six pounds a lot of the smaller ones those eight, are the best yeah. eating ones actually yeah we don't want the big ones anyways the big hens we usually release yeah conservation you should, you should right conservation should. yeah they they produce so many million babies and the bigger fish really aren't as good to eat they've been in the system longer they're kind of mushy that the smaller males are the better ones to eat. well that's what i want to accomplish next week if we do get the invite and this guarantee comes into fruition and tom gets to take a couple pictures and doesn't have to take a picture of us standing there with our arms like this <laughs> and then and then photoshop a striper into there yeah. i want to make sure that we put it on that traeger or however we're going to do it and i definitely and tom will tom we need to try some of this chowder Oh, yeah, I can I can hook you up with the chatter. It's good. Ooh, yeah. I want the recipe too. I'd like. No, to that would be good it. if we can. We'll pop some. It's a high end clam chatter. Sunday recipe, we'll go get them for Monday, and then we'll make it when they're yeah. here. We'll have a bowl of a pot of it. Sounds good. See, and Chad, the, you maybe can, you can give them some pointers, or it's a lot like duck hunting, where you know if it's slow with the birds, you've got to figure out some play a B. Camp life. Camp right? life. Yeah, camp life. And that's usually what we have at Rocky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Boat Only life. during fishing season. His, I've I've been on several spec hunts where we just manhandle them, and it's ten a day. But as far as fishing, yes, I would think that you guys would probably want to take up golf when it comes to fishing. <laughs> We've had our days, Chad. Trust me, we have had our good days. All right, Tom. Thank you very much. I can right. smell the triggers going. I know Clay's out there. Clay, how's it coming out there? Sounds per- or smelling pretty good. Pretty good. All right, we're uh, we're gonna move on here a little bit. I want to keep talking on on really how me Rocky and I met was through the CWA 
you know, there's a lot of CWAs out there, but the California Waterfowl Association, and I want to talk about this because pe- people have seen it. Our viewers, our customers have seen it highlighted on the episodes of the Fowl Live through our social media platforms. Just real quick, Rocky, I don't want to, you know way more about the CWA than me, but what is the CWA and what is it doing right now? Um, CWA is uh, California Waterfowl Association. It's a nonprofit, 501c3. Uh, their main purpose is, um, wetlands, uh, restorations, developing wetlands, uh, protecting hunting heritage and, you know, giving opportunities for others to hunt on, whether it be public land, private land. Um, they are, we have an amazing hunt program, uh, but they're there for the waterfowler and, you know, it, it, when it's, you look at California waterfowl, you look at the name, you, you immediately just think of duck hunting. But when you develop a wetland, there are so many other species that have to be, you know, come into play that are protected or they get a home. And, you know, so just saying it's about ducks and geese is, is really not correct. Um, they, uh, they help with many things like clean water infiltration into the, Groundwater, you know, a clean, healthy wetland is a great filtration system for rainwater to recharge groundwater. And those are the kinds of things that really aren't ever talked about. Um, you know, we talk about ducks and, you know, a marsh. Um, yeah, most people looking in from the outside would say, you're developing a duck property to go out there and kill a bunch of ducks. And that's far from the truth. That is far from the, the amount truth. of uh benefits that a duck or a goose gets out yeah they get nutrition out of it they get a place to breed they get a place to to lay their eggs they get a place to live right but the shorebirds the rodents the every other animal there's so many animals that benefit off of a wetland that's built and you your dad larry we talked about him being a pioneer ken hoffman what you're doing with your properties right now and what the california waterfowl association is doing throughout the entire state with twenty four thousand volunteers members hundreds and hundreds of volunteers a state-based agency that is 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 on the national map as being a leader in conservation in the west united states a lot of things start when i say this rock you take it from here and then i'll ask brad along the same lines of this question but a lot of initiatives a lot of politics a lot of bills that go into legislature are they start in california it's a battleground state what does that mean a battleground state well um we have a gentleman named mark henley mark is our um he runs our government affairs side the california waterfowl association he's at the capitol daily you know working with the opposite side the democrats and some republicans we're um helping them when they introduce a bill whether it be an ammo bill, a shop bill, a hunting regulation bill, we're there to try to help show them the, the facts. And believe it or not, um, a lot of them, even though they'll pass some really crazy bills, uh, they'll put them on the floor, they'll listen to Mark. Um, because CWA has done the homework. We have the hardened facts that are indisputable. And when Mark presents them, a lot of times he's able to get the language changed where the author is, is happy that his bill's being brought forward, but it's in a language that's not impacting the hunter, okay? Uh, he may get his point across where it's like a magazine ban or something like that, um, but we, we, we go from 15 rounds in a magazine and, 
and California is very liberal, so they're they're passing some pretty strict gun laws that we've seen. But we'll save the the deer hunter's rifle magazine of three to four, okay? Um, and so Cal Cal Waterfowl's been on the leading edge to a lot of that, and you know it, it's we just we just developed a pack and a C one C what is it C three C three pack, um, and so we're going head to head at the Capitol now. Um, we have money and collateral to try to help fight some of these bills that we just can't talk them through. Um, and it is, uh, a lot of the new legislation that has been, is tested in California. Um, and if it passes here, then a lot of your Eastern shore States look at them and then they bring them over to their States and then they try to get it to a nationwide. When when you talk about, you know, Eastern States and, you know, I, I, we've worked with Camp Woody in the Carolinas and there is a Nevada Waterfowl Association. There's, there's something called the Colorado Waterfowl Association. I, I don't know if I'm privy to all of them, but there's, I've never seen anything match up to on a state, you know, Ducks Unlimited, Delta on a national level, they're legit. RMEF, NWTF, Mule Deer Foundation, Pheasants Forever, Quail Unlimited. There's lots of strong, strong conservation agencies that we have to be involved in. Even if you don't hunt quail, supporting quail unlimited makes sense, right? CWA, I, I'd love to see so many national members get involved because of that reason that a lot of things start out here in California and move eastward. And when you have, when I go into the, the headquarters in Rockland, is it in Rockland or Roseville? Roseville. Roseville, California, the headquarters of CWA, you have a president named John Carlson. You have a marketing team. You have a publishing team. You have a sales team. You have a magazine and an editor. You have a, you know, Mark Henley and what he does. You have Mr. Jake. You have so many different individuals that are full-time employees. This is a real life bit. It's a real life business. With guys like yourself and John Carlson and Scott waking up every day with conservation and more importantly, not more importantly, I shouldn't say more importantly, but hunters rights. They are for the hunter and for the gun owner and Brad being from California and being so passionate about the outdoors, you've been to a lot of banquets. You've supported CWA for a lot of years, your relationship with rock. What does that mean for you to be a, a local, uh, an inhabitant of California to know that something like CWA exists and more importantly has your back? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I through Rocky and other friends there, I got on the, the, the Chico committee for California waterfowl basically. Cause I, my love of hunting. And, and once I got involved, I was on the committee for 10 years or so. Rocky was the chairman of that committee. And we, what you don't see, yes, CWA has got all these employees that work hard every day, but there's thousands and thousands of, of um, guys like myself that were volunteers on these committees that we spent countless hours putting together these functions to, to raise money and, for the good cause, for, for the hunter's rights, for the conservation, all that kind of stuff. And I was just, after you're involved for a while, you really start seeing the big picture, and it, it's pretty impressive. It's uh, I've been involved a little bit with Ducks Unlimited, too, and that's more on a national level. But the the heart and soul, you know, of the California hunter and stuff, like you say, we've got all this these fights with legislation over um, hunter's rights and everything. Now the world's getting crazy with gun control and, you know, all these things that are happening, you know, our heritage growing up hunting and stuff, you want to protect that. And you touched on it earlier about the, 
the kids involved in hunting, women involved in hunting, that's our future. You know, we need to teach them hunter safety, teach them the love of the outdoors to get, to keep going for generation and generation. And I think it's important with the women involved in hunting. Not only does it have them teach their kids, but to have, you know, the opposite sex voice, you know, the duck hunting or hunting in general has been known as a male dominated sport in the for past sure. or whatever. And you get these women. CWA, that, has, CWA has awesome women's camps. Oh, sure. That are do. just for sure. women. Yeah. It's we've called Bo yeah. becoming an outdoor woman. Yeah. Yeah. And you're a yeah. huge part of that. You've, right. We, 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 we took Bo over three years ago. Um, and we absorbed it into us. It was its own outside entity. And they came to us, um, because of what you mentioned earlier with our marketing side and our staff and we absorbed them into California Waterfowl Association and both truly is standing on its own. It's got its own committee and so forth. And I mean, the amount of women that are in it, I mean, they have like 11 or 12 personal all women events now where they can all this, this coming year, I think they have eight hunts um, where they can all get together on various high end ranches or duck clubs. Uh, I, it's an awesome organization, um, you know, part of CWA. And I, I'm glad that we, um, we did take it on and start it up. And when you say take it on, you know, a lot of people ask me, why did, why are you giving so much attention to CWA and, or why are you playing so much favorite? They must be paying you a ton of money. No, they're not paying us anything. We have a, a really good relationship with the CWA in the means of Bandit and Avery and Greenhead Gear. We are a, a corporate sponsor. Yep. Through, you know, your youth camps such as Grizzly or Rancho Esquan, working with kids, supplying waiters and, and apparel for men and women. Part we, We've supplied, working with Holly and Bo, we've supplied a lot of, of, of women's apparel for the camps. But the reason we're involved with CWA is simple, and this is what I think about all the time. If I'm a duck hunter in central Kansas and I'm waking up at 5 in the morning, to go set up a decoy spread, whether it's a dry field to, on winter wheat to hunt lesser Canada geese or going to a marsh to hunt mallards or the Arkansas River to hunt mallards. I want to get the message out there that while you're doing that, John and Rock and Scott and Brad and all these guys in California are waking up and they're going to work or board meetings or to, or to Capitol Hill in Sacramento with Mark Henley. And I've, I've hunted with Senator Barry Hill, Mr. Tom Barry Hill down there. There's guys that are fighting for our rights. When we're out laughing and high-fiving and drinking coffee and looking at that dust in our rearview mirrors and watching that sun come up and watching those mallards pitch into our decoy spread and listen to our dog whimper because he's so excited for the first flock to come in and watching our dog shake when they bring that first mallard in. Every single aesthetic value that we get out of this masterpiece of being a waterfowl hunter we have to understand that when that alarm clock goes off at five o'clock or 3 30 or four o'clock in the morning pacific time cwa volunteers full-time employees presidents marketing managers vice presidents cfos ceos are waking up to go to work for our benefit across the board across the country and we have to understand that that has more value than anything that th what this agency of CWA is providing that is why foul life is involved that is why bandit and Avery and all of our brands are involved with CWA because it makes sense and if it's so easy to wake up and go set a decoy spread and kill a bunch of mallards a monkey can kill ducks I've always said it they have a brain this big we're not open heart surgeons here. We're not fighting overseas for our freedoms. We're a duck hunter. We have to find something in the bigger picture. And I'm not trying to say this is drama and we're going to be all dramatic about duck hunting and hear this scary music come up and go, oh, it's four o'clock in the morning and it's no, 
I'm simply saying that let's not take it for granted that there's some badasses out in California that are kicking ass daily for hunters' rights, not just waterfowlers. It goes across the board. It's bigger than that. So when you're when you're a 21 year old kid in Kansas or a 40 year old man in Arkansas and you're going out in your boat to hunt ducks in the flooded timber, we have to understand that that could all be taken away from us. And I heartbeat as fast as we get to wake up and go do it. We could not get to wake up and go do it. Our rights are under siege every day. And again, it's not drama. It's reality. And CWA wakes up knowing that it is reality. And they put all these different implementations and all these pieces of that puzzle in place to make sure that that kid in Kansas and that 40-year-old man in Arkansas get to go do what they do. Well, it was a, it was, there, was a, there was an assemblyman when they were bringing up the semi-auto bill last year. They were, uh, his exact words were he brought in, he brought in a Benelli, SB2, he brought in a Browning A5 that was from, I don't know, 20 years ago or something like that. He brought in an Ethica pump, and then he brought in a double barrel from about 1935. And his story was that why do we need pumps and semi-autos when we were doing just fine in 1930 with a double barrel? Like that. So... His, he was trying to, you know, convince the legislature that we didn't need semi-autos. So if that bill would have passed, it got killed. And Brown even said he was going to uh, veto it if it came to him. But that's their mentality. They're saying, okay, you have your Second Amendment right. Okay, you have all that. We're not going to argue that. But when all those gun laws and all that was being developed back when, we didn't have these SB3s, these really trick shotguns now that we like as a waterfowler. And so, you know, in CWA, Mark Henley was right in that fight, you know, and he was saying everything evolved, you know. So his exact words were right behind it goes, look at the automobiles today. Look at motorcycles. Look at your Internet. Everything is ever evolving. You know, we just need to learn to manage it and we need to learn to be conservationists and protect it. And so... When he gave his his side to the story, he came off much more intellectual than the other guy, and the and and it died. The bill died, you know, which we all knew it was. But I only say that because there is that small majority, and what we're seeing right now in the union is you know a lot of attack on us. So we have to be uh, thinking ahead of them all the time. And here in California, uh, honestly, our our office isn't very big, and we wish it was bigger. Our staff is, is has tight, you know, they, they're, they're, they're not, there should be more. We're tight on money sometimes um, because we're spending so much on a bill that comes. And so we're having more fundraisers. We're, we're trying to expand. We're moving into Southern California this next year with the brand. Um, and so we're doing things to try to generate more revenue because we see the bigger battle coming here in the state. But aside, and, aside from the politics and all that stuff, too, I mean, gun control, that's a national thing. But I think California Waterfowl, among anything else, yes, we are. they're doing a great job of fighting that fight. But it's duck hunting is like no other sport worth it. It's a family thing. It's a camaraderie thing, friendship. It's fun. It's not just about going out and harvesting ducks. It's about the times we have in the blinds and the fun we have and all that stuff. And I think 
I think that's the basis for, for the fight is, is to protect that. We need to have that hunting heritage. It's not just about gun control. It's about uh, we want our kids and the future generations to be able to enjoy doing it like we do. A hundred percent. And that's where I was going with that kid in Kansas and that 40-year-old in Arkansas is that it's a gem. It's a national freaking treasure to and be I, able to wake up and say you're an American hunter. And that's why I just brought Alex Crosby and a lot of people have listened to the podcast before and watched our shows at Dead Dog Walking and Foul Life and Rocky and Brad have both met Crosby before. Crosby's, you know, he's very in, involved with that aspect that you just talked about, Brad, as far as, or Rocky, I'm sorry, as far as where would we be if we didn't have development and innovation and forward thinking, right? The the spinning wing decoy, which Mr. Terry Demon at Mojo has made worldwide famous, but it was derived and, <laughs> yeah. and invented right in your guys' backyard. Yeah, it was. Right? It yeah. was. It was. Like yeah, a, 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 gen- a gentleman there in District 10 built it one day, and uh, a couple of weeks later, uh, my partner went and was told, you got to come and check this thing out. I went. Mike went and saw it in the saw it in action in the rice field. Mike brought it to me the next day. He showed it to me in the rice field. I couldn't believe what I what would what occurred. Yeah. We took it and showed it to my dad. My dad started making it. My dad sat in the shop. We called him Santa's little elf. Larry <laughs> sat in the shop for two and a half weeks and made twenty five of these things for all of his friends. Right down at the duck club. We all got them, all of us kids. We're we were trying to get this little motor out of Texas. It was innovation. And then, then uh, who was the guy over there in D10 that got the patent on it? Oh, yeah. Matthews. Robert yeah, Matthews. Robert Matthews, yeah. Our, 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 our chef. Yeah. That's uh, the old... Greg Cornell. Yeah. They ended up getting a patent on it. And then those guys held the patent on the spinning wing. And then they're the ones that sold the patent to Terry. Mojo. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I want Alex is Alex has been on duck hunts with us. He's been on goose hunts. He's been he predator hunts all the time. He, you know, we've had this argument or this discussion on the topic of, do you use an electronic caller or do you mouth call? Do you use a mojo or do you go old school? What is old school? I mean, if we're old school, then let's go back and, and shoot a bow and arrow at him, or let's go back and shoot a slingshot at him, or throw a rock at him. Everything that we use to better ourselves as a hunter is because we're humans and we have that brain that can forward think. So Crosby, talk a little bit about your experiences in the marsh as far as duck and goose hunting. And then I want you just to give a quick comparison of what Brad just said. What is better to you? Walk in a chucker mountain or being in a duck blind with that camaraderie and that ribbon going on, what does it mean for you to be able to, to have the opportunity to do both? You're a member of the CWA. You support CWA, and you know it through what we've done here with the Foul Life. What does that mean, to have that support, to be able to go to a Chucker Mountain or go to a marsh, and what do you prefer? Wow, that's a tough one. Uh, I think every predator hunter you know, big game hunter, chucker hunter is jealous of the camaraderie aspect of duck hunting. And there's, there's no, no question about it. Uh, they're both equally great and fun and all that, but, uh, I would be a liar if I said I wasn't jealous about that sausage cooking on the uh, pan while you're sitting there waiting for a duck to come in and, you know, ribbing with your friends and having coffee. When you, when you get up and you go uh, chucker hunting, you know, it's usually a bottle of water and a granola bar in your vest. And, and when you get back to the truck, you can talk and all that, but when you're out there, you're by yourself for the most part, maybe with a dog, maybe walking with another guy, but for the most part, it's a solo thing. And, um, 
you know, the, the point of being out with your friends and all that gets a little bit lost in translation there, you know, because typically one guy goes one way, one guy goes the next. And, and I always joke around, you know, that man, I got left, you know, I'm up here by myself and it doesn't happen when you're duck hunting. Um, so I do think that you, that you truly hardcore duck hunters, like the three guys sitting at this table probably have us all beat, you know, when it comes to camaraderie and friendship and the the fun that you really do get to have in a duck blind um just just on that same aspect just talk a little bit about does an agency like a conservation organization like cwa and the ones you're involved here in reno with mbu you've never killed a sheep have you i know your mom has i know your dad has me and you haven't been lucky enough to draw a tag but we still support mbu right why do we why do we support the cwa why do we do it? That's the message that I want to get across here is it's not that hard to support them. And on the, on the next step is getting involved. I know you get involved in quite a bit of, of boys and girls club, Alex, and things that you do with different charitable organizations. Why do we, why would you, what, what is the benefit? It's because we want that confidence that somebody has our back, right? Well, it, it's hundred percent. Is I think it's, uh, it's about having a bigger voice. You know, I can stand on my soapbox all I want, talk about how great the NBU is and how great CWA is and the great things they do for us. We've got to have a voice, whether it be in the legislature, whether it be at a big dinner, you know, whether it be in a duck blind, you've got to have that educated voice that, you know, Rock was talking about a a bill being passed or not passed for gun control. Us hunters need that bigger voice. You know, we can justify everything we do to each other but if you don't have somebody in that house, in, you know, your Senate seats, in a Senate person's ear, you know, talking about these bills from our point of view, many things will go through that, that we don't like, that we don't support. It's because, you know, plain and simple, we didn't have a voice there. And it, it, and it, it happens across the board. You know, all, all you guys could speak about it on regular business terms, you know, tax cuts, tax raises, things like that is you've got to have a representation there. And it's not, you know, logistically sound for a thousand hunters to show up at every, you know, bill session or every workshop that's out there. So you support a CWA type organization, you either give to or give your time to, and they become your voice and your sounding board and your ear, so to speak, for these types of topics. Would you say, Brad, that that the bigger voice that Crosby's touching on is a necessity right now you've touched on where our country's going and what's what we're experiencing right now in the battlefield of California, the battleground state of California. Oh, definitely. The, the gun rights, the hunting rights, the heritage being threatened. Why, what is it going to take you and Rocky answer this? What is it going to take for everybody to get involved and support it? Let's say it's $30 a year to be a member of the CW. That $30 first of all helps because it adds up. Then you got the guys that are going to get have the initiative to be self starters and be a volunteer, help with the banquets, all that. How do we get that message out there? How do we have somebody? The reason I have Crosby here is because Crosby he gets it, he understands it, he hunts, he has a huge passion for it, he knows the industry, he knows what we're up against. Hunters can't take it for granted that it's going to be here tomorrow. We've said that already, but how do we get people involved? What is it going to take for somebody to go? Yeah, I'm a member of Ducks Unlimited because they're national. Well, yeah, Ducks Unlimited does a lot locally in a lot of different states. They work in conjunction with 
with CWA, as a matter of fact. Mr. Paul Bonderson, who was the president last year of DU, has Bird Haven right there in the Butte Sink, and he's a member of CWA and works hand-in-hand with CWA. What is it going to take to get somebody involved? How would you get a new – how do we get new blood rolling? Well, I mean, it's like what we've been doing. Um, we have to we have to include the young kids. And, I mean, if you're a duck hunter and you, you duck hunt avidly and you're on a street where there's a you're in a subdivision and you have some kids down the street that you think that might be interested in it, you need to go t- talk to their parents and – Check it out. See if they want to go shoot. See if they want to go apply and take the class for their you know, hunting license. Go to a CWA camp if you're in California. Um, I think that if you're out of state and listening to this podcast, I think you need to sit there and put a little bit of time and effort in. I think you need to put a hunt package together and go, you know what? I'm going to go put this hunt package together so CWA can you know, put it up at one of their auctions and I'm going to stipulate it. It's it's two two parents or three adults and a couple kids, you know, three and three or two and two. And they can auction that off at one of our banquets. Those 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 hunts like that that are out of the area go for a lot of money. And that's a great way to sit there and, and, and be part of, you know, the, the cause. Um, you know, unfortunately, we don't a lot of folks in California do not know where to go hunt outside of the state. They, they wouldn't have the foggiest idea except for opening up a book and seeing something in arkansas or or wherever and most of those times when you go call on one of those duck camps back there lodges they're booked okay so i know there's opportunities in like our friends that hunt in oklahoma you know i if i didn't have met some individuals from oklahoma i wouldn't have known what the guys in oklahoma you know shoot for ducks and geese and cranes and all that you know i'm looking forward to doing that one day going on one of them ranches so there's upper, there's ways um brad what do you it, think even if you're not a hunter even if you're not into guns even if you're against guns i mean california waterfowl aside from the gun control look what they're doing for the environment look what they're doing it's a great point yeah great point the you know look what they're doing to, to for conservation of wetlands i mean that's helping not just hunters that's helping everybody yeah and on those lines and rocky mm. can talk about this or alex can I went into Bird Haven one day and they had the Audubon Society in there benefiting sure. off of the the sure. wetlands that were built by what? By duck hunters. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people don't understand is is the hunters are the biggest advocate of of saving of conserving them. We, we have the the largest population of ducks we've had in over 100 years in the Pacific Flyway. Where do you think that money's coming from? It's coming from us, from the hunters. Really? And the, and the people who are involved with CWA and Ducks Unlimited and everything else. 100%. So it's not just about the, the, you know, God forbid, killing of animals. If you Even if you're not a hunter and not into guns, look what they're doing for conservation. Well, you look at it. It's in Nevada, too. Lots of times right after the duck season, all the duck hunters, you know, Chad included, they'll go out and they'll participate in the banding programs. You sure. know, later on, they'll go collect duck eggs and, sure. and do all that scientific work that goes behind it. That literally has nothing to do with the killing of not the at all. No, that has everything to do with forwarding the species and not for hunting. I mean, it, nobody's growing these ducks so that they can later get you know harvested. That's for the well-being of our you know you know wetlands. That's for the well-being of North America and Canada and Alaska and all that. And it's. Who else is out there doing 100, that? 100%. You never see anybody else yeah. out there doing that. 
Well, yeah, I mean, we've talked about it on the podcast and a bunch on, you know, different episodes of the Foul Life, Rocky, is where did this Atlantic flyaway population of Canada geese come from? Why are there so many Rocky Mountain elk roaming the mountains? Why is the turkey population in different parts of this country, such as Nevada, so strong right now? Why is our sheep population so strong? It's not because of the antis. It's not because of some lobbyist putting up millions of dollars protecting an, an, an animal population from a hunter going out and harvesting a sheep or two a year. And I don't mean the same guy. I'm talking about there's a, there's a certain amount of tags allocated because the scientific study has been done that biologically we're not going to affect that population by letting you kill your two hen mallards a year in different states, right? So if the scientists are saying it, the biologists are saying it, and hunters are sitting there going, my pocketbook is open, where do I write, what, how much and who do I write the check to? That's what is is going on here is that the duck stamps that we buy the licensing that we buy the 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 donations that we make to these conservation agencies you know such as cwa that's really where it comes from and that's what we talk about all the time is the heart of a hunter it doesn't take anything in the world it doesn't take a genius to understand that if you didn't have hunting the animal populations are going to be oh it would be just they've already proven it they've proven it so what do it's we, grassroots conservation. A perfect way to say it. It, it. it is what it is. I mean, it's those it's those individuals that have the passion in their heart that love to go out and enjoy the open you know, open space, the wilderness, and so forth. They go to the dinner. They give their two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars. But like you said, everyone adds up. We sell sixty seven thousand. Uh, state duck stamps in California. We got 21,000 members in CWA at current. Um, there are those that come and they go. There's all the DU members. There's all the Rocky Mountain elk members. There's the mule deer members. There's the cow deer members. There's the pheasant forever members. You have all these grassroots individuals that go to these dinners that give money. So these organizations can go out and protect. And like you said, they can do the scientific um, data collecting. They can prove what is actually going on there with hard facts. Where there are those on the opposite side that want to do it more by emotion. And, you know, unfortunately, emotion can be strong at certain times. And we have to be calm and we have to be diligent in our collection of data. And we have to present it to them in a fair and open mind. And a lot of times, we win them over and because the data is so strong and compelling. So, but it starts at the grassroots level. It I, really does. I just wanted to touch on something before we walk past it, that getting people involved. I think, you know, a person like you, Chad, fielding questions on your social media, fielding questions on your websites, you know, things like that. People that are out there that are not involved or want to get involved I think they can look to resources like you and, and others out there that can answer those questions for them and not, you don't, you don't give a biased opinion, you know, one way or the other of which organization it is, but you can help educate the youth and, or, you know, people that are just kind of hanging on the fence. You know, I, I'm not going to lie and say that I belonged to all these organizations when I was younger, but I didn't, you know, I knew my dad would go to the ducks unlimited dinner, but I didn't know what it was. And so, a younger guy that can explain to the masses or explain even one-on-one -on -one in your social media efforts to these guys of why do you need to get involved and why do you need to get involved now? You know, when, when you're 21, 22, whatever you, you start to earn a paycheck 
and you're a duck hunter, you want to be a duck hunter, get in touch with some guys like you that can explain to them what's going on and get them in there faster. Yeah, and I always say that the sooner you can learn that in your hunting career, the sooner you can get past the ideology that it's all about stacking them up. It's all about that limit. It's all about that picture at the end. I'm not saying that killing birds isn't awesome. I'm a killer. I'll kill them and eat them all day long. But it's the sooner you can find out in your hunting career, no matter if you're a rookie, you're in it 2, 3, 5, 10, 15, 20, 40 years, I wish, just like Alex just touched on, I wish I would have been a member of the CWA when I first started duck hunting, which was pretty late in life, 26 years old, 27 years old. I wish I would have got involved right then. I did get involved in the Nevada Waterfowl Association and sat on the board, went to the meetings, and did everything that I could with my national contacts and network and try to bring money into the state and prizes and hunts by outfitters that I had contacts and relationships with. If we learn that earlier in our lives of this is the big picture, and we're not ignorant to it because I understand what being 18 is. I know what's important at 18 and 21. And you don't want everybody to be so serious when they're 15, 16, 18, 20 years old. That's the years of your life that you are out there having fun and learning what life's all about and how to, how to get past a road bump or a struggle or how to love or how to be in a relationship. There's a lot of things that happen at that. I'm not saying that let's get all serious and be a politician at 20 years old and be, become a member of every conservation agency in the world. But all I'm simply saying is that the sooner you can realize this in your hunting career, that there is a bigger picture out there. There are individuals that are dedicated to the task of fighting for our freedoms and our rights as hunters, as gun owners. They're waking up on a daily basis and going to work on our behalf. The sooner we realize that and understand that there is something bigger than just stacking them up or making a pile, the better off we're going to be as a hunter. And I've really learned that a lot in the last three, four years being involved with rock and the CWA that there really is effort at the local level, the grassroots like rocks talked about that's happening and it's easy to take for granted. The NBU to me was always this big ass drunk fest for a bunch of people to go to the pepper mill or the El Dorado on a Friday night and, and drink and spend a bunch of money on a hunt. That's not anything it's about. Yeah, that happens. And it's going to continue to happen because that's what we do. But the guzzlers, the fire protection, the trade for turkeys for our sheep with the state of Texas, the the things that these agencies are doing behind the scenes without anybody with pom-poms going rah, rah, look at me is what counts. And that's what John Carlson and Scott Mueller and everybody that's involved at CWA does on a daily basis. And when you go up to John and go, man, you guys are kicking butt. He goes, it was a pretty good week. They're so humbled because this sport and this lifestyle and the advantages of being a hunter, and I mean emotional advantages because it is therapeutic to be a hunter, straight up therapeutic. I've seen it provide therapy from veterans to women to people that are depressed. It doesn't matter. Hunting is therapeutic. And when you know you have somebody on your support staff going out and fighting for your values every day, let's get involved. Let's, let's keep doing it together. And that is why the foul life and Bannon and Avery and Greenhead gear are involved with CWA on a, on a Western United States level is because it does spread eastward. And more importantly, I want that kid in Kansas and that 40 year old man in Arkansas to wake up and go, you know what? I feel better about this because it's not about stacking them up. It's about what's going on. And when I say going on Rocky, I want you to talk about this because this still blows my mind. I touched on it 30 minutes ago is the egg salvage program at California waterfowl. I'm not going to sit here and say that every, that nobody else in the country is doing it. I have no idea, but, but what I witnessed down there and the main thing that caught my attention, Alex, when I was down there is that I was literally there with Regina Zapp when her phone rang and she said, hello. And it was a farmer, a landowner calling her 
to say that he just put the brakes on his combine, stopped his combine, and because he saw a hen mallard fly off a nest, and he called them to come out and salvage the eggs. Yeah. That's amazing because most of the times those eggs would have been chewed up. Oh, yeah. And done, right? If it's, they hadn't gotten eaten by a fox or a coyote or an owl or a skunk before, this farmer called Regina's app at the CWA and the egg salvage department and said, this is where the farm is. This is the GPS coordinates. Here is my combine. I don't want to go any further until this egg is this, this nest is saved. Mm-hmm. What the heck rock? I mean, come on. Is that really happening? It, it's happening. Uh, uh, we would like to see it wider, a wider range, but um, no growers are becoming, educated on the value of that and it's just good stewardship of the land and conservation both combined um you know and it gets our message out to the others so that way we don't come off so you know they were portrayed a lot of times in in hollywood and so forth farmers and hunters as you know ignorant individuals you know low class you know just kind of goofuses and we're really not. I mean, most growers today are highly sophisticated. They have a, they have businesses that are, you know, high value. Um, they're definitely, you know, the old saying, they're feeding the world. Um, and it's an important part of the California history is agriculture. And, you know, we've evolved a lot, you know, as we were talking um, earlier. So them now starting to respect that those little eggs right there you know, if they stop and they take that nest and they go hatch that, they just saved eight to nine mallards. And if every grower in the state could just save one nest or two nests prior to destruction of them, um, that would help the local mallard population immensely over 10 years if you start doing the, the you know, the calculations. So, you know, it, it is. Egg salvage is growing strong. Last year, we, we rescued, I think, close to 3,200 eggs, and it was one of our better years. Um, but at the same time, uh, this year, our egg salvage is down, uh, but our banding of pintails is up. So it, it, it's like it's it, egg salvage is one component of it, you know, in CWA, but there's also the other component of the banding side of it. And the two of them, bringing them both together, starts tracking population growths, not relying solely on the feds overflight that they do. You know, and so when the feds come in and say, oh, we flew and we only got X amount of counts, CWA has, well, this is what we have. This is how many eggs we salvage. This is our nest recoveries. This is how many nests we saw per acre. This is how many birds we banded in late January, early February, and you start adding all that data together. And then that's how today we're able to go and fight for three Pintel because of the collection of data that our biologists are doing. It's scientific. It's all scientific. And it's, you hear this one too is, Oh, you guys are raising ducks so you could go hunt them. I've, I've gotten that (laughs) on my social media. And we've, when we've done this Crosby on egg salvage, I'm like, Literally, please go back in the basement and shut the door and don't come out for another week. Right. That's literally what I want to say to these good people. I'm like, you literally saw a farmer call Regina. Regina and her crew go out, save the nest. Mm-hmm. They bring those eggs to an incubating process at Rancho Esquan. Oh, well, you're just going to release them on Rancho Esquan and hunt them. No. no. Those, 
ducks are incubated, they're hatched, they're put back into marshes all up and down the flyway in the state of California, from the Susan Marsh in Vacaville, Fairfield area in the Bay Area, all the way to all the way to the to the Salton Sea down in you know the the Southern California area, and all over the Chico area, the Butte Sink, the Sacramento Delta, and it's a success. It's not that you're raising ducks to kill them. That's so ignorant to say. These conservation agencies are doing this for the prolonging of a certain species. And it's because of that hunter's dollar and more importantly, the sweat equity and the, and the absolute work and the, the passion that goes into something like the CWA is doing with their egg salvage program, their banning initiatives, their youth camps. Every single thing that I've seen them do is first class and well thought out and for somebody to get on their keyboard and type that in, that just shows you that we need to do a better job of staying calm, staying cool, collecting the data and going and presenting it to them and saying, Hey, look at how much, how the, look at the success rate of these ducks. Yes. Hunters do kill a few, but way more of them return to the breeding grounds and way more of them are healthy up and down these flyways because of the dollar of a hunter and the heart of a hunter. That's the message. And the message is, I mean, also, I mean, if they understood egg salvage and all the, processes that go into it you know you find the eggs you take them to the to the um, incubators like you said well it's more than just an incubator they're also raised in the pens and then once they molt and they're able to fly that's when they get banded and those mallards are released into different parts of northern california they they pick them up and there'll be 200 taken over here there'll be a couple hundred over there 50 over here they're spread out uh, honestly, at Rancho Esquan, the only ones they release there are the ones that they do for the youth camp. The youth camp. Yeah, yeah. and we'll, re- we'll release 150 ducks, okay? But other than that, they're going back to the areas that they were brought out of, and they're banded. It, w- it, it is a lot of effort to band 1,900 pintail. I mean, it's weeks on end. It's 10 biologists. It's rocket launchers. It's like, will you have a successful band? Hey, two years ago, we banded 90 Pintel, okay? This year, we banded 2,000 Pintel. That's just, you don't know what the, you know what you're going to get out of your investment by getting out there in, in that workload. So, egg salvage has its part. You're, it's a two-process. You're getting the birds banded, the mallards. Mallards are hard to, mallards are one of the toughest ducks to go and collect and put a band on. You need to do it when they're young because... They're not a grouping duck like widgeon and pintail and teal, you know, so they don't hang out in big populations of 1,000, 2,000 on an open field where you can easily send rocket nets over them. So being able to ban those mallards, seeing where they travel, we've learned a lot. We're banning mallards in Northern California out of Rancho Esquan, and they're ending up all the way down there on the border or over in Colorado, you know, so they're moving. Okay, we didn't know that before, you know, so. So you're saving their lives where they would have been destroyed by farm equipment and you're collecting data off, it's a win-win situation. Correct, and you think of if you save, for every hen you save, if she lives, that's seven more ducks next year when yep. she nests. Very good. And, and it, all, well, sorry, go I ahead. Was gonna, and I was going to say, and it literally <clears throat> has little to nothing to do with hunting is what's funny about it. There's not a person out there that goes, I want to I save that nest so that I can kill that duck next year. There's not a, there's not a person involved in your organization that would make that statement. No, hell, the Regina, who's no longer there, who uh, absolutely adore her and her husband, her family, the way they're raising their kids. Awesome family, right? Rock. Yep. They Regina (laughs) loves ducks. 
I'm not talking about eating ducks or killing ducks. Yeah, she's a hunter, but she just loves ducks. And I, when I saw the passion she had when she would handle those eggs and educate me on what was next for them through the incubator and the hatching and the, and the pins and everything, I was just like, wow, this is exactly what people need to understand hunters do. And her, and her husband, he owns a successful outfitting service, and Rocky works hand-in-hand. Hand. Rocky, talk a little bit about your relationship now. Moving off of the CWA, I want to get into – let's just get into – hunting a little bit and it I, my first question is and i want you to educate people on this is the sacramento delta and the butte sink the same thing no what, what what's the difference well the delta is you know over on our westerly coast side i mean that is the islands you know you have garibaldi island and web track and so forth out there and, and that's and that's just that's just salt you know brackish water marsh out there um the butte sink is the low spot of the Sacramento Valley. And it used to be just one, you know, one giant continuous Westlands north of the Sutter Buttes where all the drainages of Northern California came into. And so over time that was leveled and destroyed and drained and um, more farmland was, you know, put into play down there in the thirties and forties. Well, back then a bunch of hunters saw what was happening and went and started buying ground up down there and the feds came in and, put protective easements on it so that's your butte sink central part of the sacramento valley um and the delta is out to the west so it's completely two different areas yeah it's you know the 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 delta and the sassoon marsh they're all kind of connected down there and that's you know over there by the the bay area where the river systems go in to to meet the bay yeah where would you rather hunt brad personally yeah well, I grew up in the Napa River hunting that muddy marsh down there. I'd rather hunt up in the sink. <laughs> yeah. You'd rather be in the and, – and you you have a club right outside of the sink? Uh, just north of the sink, yes. Just north of the sink. Yeah. So is there – is Chico a duck hunting destination? Or are you, do you are you hunting around Chico or are you hunting a long ways from Chico? Well, I mean, from Chico, you're out to the first – you're to Lano Seco from Chico in 10 minutes. Well, My far. duck club, yeah, 10, 15 minutes south of Chico. And from there all the way down to the Butte Sink, is, <clears throat> that's the mother load. Yeah, from my from my house to the Brady Ranch is 37 minutes. And then the Butte Sink, the heart of the sink. And with, you say the Brady Ranch, you remember at the, that club, awesome place. Thank you for taking me there this year. How many duck clubs like that are in the Butte Sink? Oh, geez. I, I, I wish you wouldn't ask me that. I would, I, I'm, I'm shooting off the hip. I would say there's probably, like the Brady, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming we're pushing 35 in there, maybe 40. Clubs. Does that include, like, the the White Mallard? Is, Correct. Uh, the, what are some of uh, – I can name them all day long. I wish I get to yeah. go to them. But what, what are – why are some of them – so sought after is it is it because of the farming practices is it because of the easement program why are some so when you hear of like the white mallard people are like oh it's impossible to become a member there what you know like why are some of them so sought after in that area or or, or are all of them sought after it's the i mean the the aesthetics and the scenery the view um and they do have definitely there's a lot of birds in the area constantly you know because it's a it's a it's a it's an older wetland. I mean, it's established and the birds have imprinted on there for so many generations that they go back. Um, you've got a, you got a great refuge system that surrounds it. And so 
the amount of birds that overwinter down there is at are very high levels. And then they'll kind of spread out. But, you know, in the early months of October and November and first half of December, I mean, I, I, I think almost every duck that comes in the valley goes there at some point and then ventures out, you know, to other places from there. So, so when I'm down there, we're, we're relatively where we hunt the specks, those rice checks around that area. That's not the Butte Sink, right? Up there by, like, you have you have Rancho Esquan, you have Durham. No. And that's not the Butte Sink, correct? No. That's a, they call it the Upper Butte Basin. The Upper Butte, Butte Basin. Basin. So those, ma- the, when I drive by, the, by these rice checks, Crosby, and, and I'm going six miles an hour maybe maybe four and i got a line of traffic behind me just lighting me up and and you know i'm i'm driving because rocky's text and drive and i don't i want him to quit so if there's an officer out there be looking for a black ford please i wish i had his plate number but i won't drive with rocky on these farm roads is my point brad i don't think you should anymore either (laughs) why are you guys picking on me i remember i have pictures of you stop um, <laughs> the, um all right let's, let's not go there alex i drive by these rice checks and you could walk over widgeons and pintails spoonies there's a lot of spoonies and people are like i hate spoonies spoonies are pretty i'm not going to shoot them because i'm not going to i don't like to eat them but they're beautiful but when you drive by these rice checks you will literally look out there and see so many bull sprig hen sprig bull widgeons and big cotton tops and you're saying that those ducks that i'm seeing in that area were in the Butte sink when they first got to that area of California? Yeah, a lot of times they go straight, they overfly and they go into Rancho Esquan and they they go into sink, they go into all the wildlife areas and then they just kind of move around, you know, because we're, remember, we're, we're in harvest then when they're moving, when they're migrating into the valley in October. So there's so, no water in the rice fields. Yeah, right? the, the rice fields are all dry. So the ducks are going to your refuges and to the Butte sink because they all have water for the, you know, October 20th, most everything's flooded up. So, by time the rice fields start getting flooded fully, you're looking at like November 15th. Well, by November 15th, we've got 60% of our birds are in the valley. Okay, they've already came out of Canada and pushed down in. And they. And then we also have our local populations, of course, that we've raised over the year. Um, and they concentrate in that, around that Sutter Butte region there. Um, and then other birds come in, birds move out. It's just kind of the transition how things move around the valley. Alex, you've you're a San Francisco Giants fan. We've made the trek several times from Reno over the Sierras, down through the Sacramento Valley, through Dixon, through Fairfield, Vacaville, down through Vallejo area, that entire I eighty corridor. When you're driving that and you're in the hustle and bustle of Sacramento traffic and then you get to Fairfield and Vacaville, then you get to the Bay Area and you just by that time want to shoot yourself with the Bay Bridge traffic and traffic jams. Does it ever occur to you that it's like literally a duck ha- haven down there? Like it's a water, a wild fowl, wildlife haven in that area. Does it ever cross your mind? Because there's a lot of people that drive from this area and go that route. Does it ever occur to you? I couldn't count how many times I've almost wrecked on that little low bridge when you're watching all the ducks light into those fields right there. When you, you know, right when you go past like Budweiser or it's right before Budweiser 
And I always, are we the only guys that are looking at that? And and you're just in awe watching all the ducks light into that thing. And every time I go over there with people that don't hunt, I'm like, oh my God, this here is a haven. Look at all those ducks over there. Look at the geese coming this way. Look at that. And, and everybody else is like, just get me to San Francisco. So That's right at, the, right at the edge of the Sassoon March, right where you're talking Well, about. no, wait, I want to make sure I have it right. Is this like what, right before Dixon? Right, right, but right, right when you get out of sack, right you know? when you get out of sack and you're going across and there's the agriculture on the right, but there's a really, there's a lot of rice on the left rock down there. And there was a last year early, there was a ton of specks in that area. Right. Is that where you're talking about? Right there. Yeah. Right by the Budweiser, that Budweiser plant right there. The co- is that the causeway? The Vic Fazio? Yeah. It's the causeway. That's what the they're causeway, talking causeway, about yeah. right there. Yeah. yeah. Holds a lot of birds all year long. But you, my, my point in that question was, is that. And my dad taught me this a long time ago because I, I don't even know how many almost automobile accidents we got in as a family because of wildlife, because my dad was a hunter and we don't miss that kind of stuff. And if people would just say, wow, man, you know, like that's what Autobahn preaches is take the time to get out and look at what this country has to offer. Yeah, there is the Fisherman's Wharf and there's AT&T Park and there's there, there everything, Garadelli Square and everything that San Francisco has to offer. I, I, I'm not going to say that I don't like being in Frisco once in a while. I, I, maybe I will say that. I don't like it that much. I do like it. I like the food. But what... GNR was pretty good there. Yeah, Guns N' Roses <laughs> was awesome. But what we look at on, our, uh, on the grand scale of things is so much more important, so much more vivid to me exactly where he's talking about is exactly where I was thinking about on that drive is like, you know, wow. After you get out of the Sierras, which is one of the most prettiest mountain ranges I've ever seen in my life. And then you drop down into the Sacramento Valley and now you're in the Delta and the, in the duck country. I'm just like, man, I wish everybody would take the time to look at this for what it really has to offer. And that's what people are missing. That's where I was going with that Chico comment is Chico is known as, I I mean, a little business town, it's Sierra Nevada Brewery. It's Chico State College. And it's farming. I mean, that's really what Chico is, is a farming town. It's the a biggest farming, industry. Yeah. It's a farming community. But and pe- for Tom, a party town, apparently. Yeah, and Tom says it's a party town. And, and, and it is. I mean, it's been voted that by Hugh Hefner. I mean, God rest his soul, Hugh Hefner. I mean, he, he voted it all the time as one of the top party schools in the country. By the I way, those were the years that Rocky and I were going to school there. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, we've seen the pictures with the mullets and oh yeah, fanny, <laughs> fanny packs and fanny razor blades. neon clothes. Yeah, and, yeah. Razor Walkman. We we were there. <laughs> what? No, I wanted to. I wanted to say too, and I did it yesterday. Is it, when you when you are a hunter, you enjoy the outdoors. Driving becomes a whole new game, right? You're. I'm always looking for deer. Oh, you. When you go looking. through the Sierras, I'm looking. I want to see a bear. I want to see a deer. Is there going to be a coyote that runs across the road? You know. Uh, Chad and I, when we drove to uh, Tennessee once, a, a bighorn sheep ran across the road right at the Hoover, at the Hoover Dam down in Vegas. You know, and those are like I go crazy when I see that, and I don't think the rest of the world that isn't into this does that. Would you agree? I mean, that's a, nobody else is looking at that stuff. Nobody is, no. and that's the thing is that when you're driving with somebody like Rocky, I'm trying to get the point across to the guy that the real social media is us. Like we're right here, and like he is literally on Instagram like nonstop and texting and his network is strong and he's missing the important part of what the Butte sink and the Northern Butte Delta, the Northern Buttes <laughs> have to offer. And I'm joking there in a way, but I'm just trying to protect my friend Rocky. I just wanted to make sure that there's a public service announcement that comes out of this podcast that we have to form a unity 
to get Rocky to quit texting and driving. And Brad, I want you to head that up starting this evening, please. Um, well, all Rocky needs to do is look at his buddy Brad, who used to be pretty famous for texting and driving and looking at things, and didn't work out so well. Yeah, for I me. saw the pictures of yeah. your truck. December, <laughs> and hence the December thirtieth, two thousand thirteen. Uh, bad day for. Hence the reason Rocky put you guys on the plane today and just yeah, yeah. took the thirty-one minute jump over the mountains. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. if you're going, if you're going, if we're out on the other thing that this part of California has to offer, and I'm 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 heavy on this now because you guys introduced me this again, introduced me to Almanor in the last couple of years. Almanor's awesome, fantastic place. What hey, I Almanor? Yeah. Have you been? Oh, yeah. oh. Small mouth, small mouth bass and. Yeah, and boats and 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 Bee Gees. And that's what I want to talk about. Best lake Gees. in the state of California, but keep that quiet because we like it. We like Tahoe's it. pretty like, awesome. Yeah, let, let everybody go to Tahoe. We I'll, do. I'll I'm not going to say that. I'm I'm sitting here trying to say that Almanor's awesome, but why? The I mean, we're listening to Bee Gees. Yeah, that's Jason Carrier's fault there. What song is it? I love it. Oh, how sweet is your love? How, <laughs> yeah, or how, yes. how what is it? How deep is your how, love? How deep yeah. is your that's Jason oh. Carey and Tyler Marsh. Dude, they, dude they please, Tom, Tom, will you please cue that up? BG's Andy Gibb and his brother Barry. How deep is your love? They'll be here later tonight. They're J- gonna be Jason here. sings the high point, yeah. and then Tyler Marsh comes in and does this dance <laughs> called the Meat Grinder, <laughs> yeah. and I literally will fall off of my chair in the yeah. boat laughing. He'll get up on the back of the boat in nothing but like it's not really a speedo, but it's not really a man's bathing suit. It's just kind of like there, and he does this. We got to have them do the meat grinder tonight. But Almanor is special because, again, it's 80 feet deep. It gets warm. It's snow fed, spring fed. It's in a in an area of the Sierras that's absolutely aesthetically gorgeous. You have the boating. You have Fourth of July. You have the housing, the developments around it. You have campsites around it. You and then on top of that, like what he just said, and I what I touched on earlier is my nephew Chase at six years old caught a 7.2 pound yeah. brown out of there. The the fishing is awesome. The crawfish is awesome. We've trapped crawfish and had them at your New Orleans Mardi Gras party. Mm-hmm. That's what California is to me. And when you start talking about what a state has to offer, I want to I want people to understand that it's way more than Rodeo Drive or Pacific Beach or Malibu or Newport, Sacramento. Agreed. San Francisco, Sacramento or California, especially the northern part, all the way into like Cedarville and Eagleville and that part of Surprise Valley. It's gorgeous. And if people took the time to educate themselves on a destination that they should visit or make a drive <coughs> on that part of California, it's, it's worth it. It's worth every second that it takes to do it. And you talk about California, you talk about Nevada, you talk about Arkansas. We've touched on different States. The reason that we're here is the common den- denominator of hunting. And we could talk about stacking them up and piling them up. But really why we do it is because we're friends. We love being around each other. I, I know that when I go down to Rockies to turkey hunt, I'm going to see turkeys. I'm going to have an opportunity to kill turkeys. But there's also going to be the camaraderie, the friends, the memories, that what really the important part of that hunt is, the, the nights at the Fifth Street Steakhouse, the nights at the shop grilling out. And I think that that's why I always say, Brad, is that my favorite place in the world to be is in Italy, and it's not New York City, and it's not the Bahamas. It's Duck Camp USA. Oh, yeah. And when I say Duck mm. Camp, you could insert anything, fishing camp, deer mm-hmm. camp, turkey camp, whatever it is. Sure. Just being at hunting camp is awesome. What does it mean? Like, let's end it. Let's let's go out on a high note. I want to have a little bit of fun with this, but what does it mean? I mean, what, why do, why, what would we tell somebody? Like, what do you do at hunting camp? It's like, what don't you do there? What don't you get to experience there? Whether you're a kid or a dog or a, a woman or a man, 
a campfire and a highball and a steak and a coffee pot and the smell of nature and the sun coming up and going. I mean, what, where, can you tell me if there's any better place, Rock? Brad? Hutton Cap, Hutton Camps, I was raised in them. And, you know, Butte Creek Gun Club and at Lano Seco, those, those clubhouses, we called them, not hunting camps. But, I mean, it, I just remember there'd be 20 guys in there. And I remember, you know, back at nine years old, the guys, that's when um, pelts were worth a lot of money. And the guys were out trapping muskrats and beavers and stuff like that. And these guys were making bear stew, beaver stew, all these different things. And you're just like, you're nine years old. And you're, you're watching these guys, you know, have their cigars, drink their beer, have their talks, their laughs, and you're learning. You know, you're, 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 you're seeing what it's like outside of just that true home life. There's another part of life about educating and being social. Okay, so you're learning social skill sets. You mean like Instagram or, or social media, like MySpace? Right, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm talk- I thought that's how you socialize <laughs> these days, right? Is that how you do it? No. <laughs> you are the social king, man. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. how the millen- that's how the millennials do it. Yeah. <laughs> just right, let's not get the, started. Yeah, just look at all the stuff you post morning, noon, and night. Um, <laughs> the, uh, oh, he oh, fires yeah. back. <laughs> Whoa. He's back. <laughs> but... Uh, no, but seriously, but you know, when you go into the clubhouse scene and you have guys staying there and they're coming up on the weekends, you know, they're coming from the city, you know, and they were rolling in on a Friday afternoon, unloading their stuff, throwing it in. They were just so excited because tomorrow morning they were going to duck hunt. They got out to their blinds, you know, when they, after they unloaded all their gear, camouflaged them up, fixed some decoys. And the next morning they're in their blind. 40 minutes before shooting time, after they made a breakfast at the clubhouse. Then they come in. They have the lunch after their hunt. That night's the big dinner on Saturday night with 25, 30 people there. Mom's there. Dad's there. There's wine. There's, you know, Jack Daniels on the on the, on the the bar. Hard, high balls are being made. There's ducks being cooked, deer being cooked, lasagnas. There's brownie platters. There's garlic bread. All this stuff, twice huh. baked potatoes, flowing through. I'm getting hungry. Yeah. And, uh, You're making me hungry. Wait, 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 I mean, these were, this is what I was raised with. This that's was how, that's how every kid should be raised, and, in my and, opinion. And when you get there, and then when we built, when we got the shop, when we bought that ranch, and we, and when I looked at that room up there, and I'm, I'm looking at that, I'm like, what the heck am I going to do with this? I could have rented it out. I could rent it out to somebody and get no. 900 bucks a month. You knew Chad was coming. And I sat there <laughs> and I thought to myself, I'm like, you know what? We're going to call it the shop, and we're going to build a clubhouse in the shop. It's the only shop in Northern California that's a hunting camp, and that's like that. And so we designed it, what it was, put our boats in there and put all of our hunting gear and our quads and our Argos and our side-by-sides. and Turkey mounts and duck mounts. Turkey mounts, duck mounts, all of our, you know, memorable pictures Does on the walls. You know, and yeah, yes, there is. And we do things. We learn. Some of our friends learn how to dance there <laughs> Tom? upstairs. Tom, <laughs> Tombo. But yeah. I mean, in a way, you're speaking on a different level. I just figured this out that you you really do learn social skills at camp as a kid. Oh. You're watching your dad interact with his buddies. I I just realized that, and we talk about my old man all the time. He used to he used to put spit on his finger and write the mileage from one mountain range yeah. to the next on the dashboard. And I was like, this crazy son of a bitch, what is he doing? He's like, this is gross. Dude, now we do it. 
we get down and we draw maps in the dirt and we could go on Google Earth, but we're like, nope, we're doing it OB's way, right? Yeah. That we we learned how to be a man or a provider being at camp at a sure. young age, mm-hmm. being around that fire. Yeah, we heard some cuss words and we heard some jokes and we heard some stories, but we learned how to socialize the real yeah. way. The campfire is the original social media, mm-hmm. right? It's the original social network because that's where you'd kick your feet up and your dog was laying next to you and the deer was hanging or the ducks were, you know, getting ready to be skinned or whatever the case was. And those stories happened. And it, the way you just described it made my the hair on my neck stand up and goosebumps on my arms because I'm like, I'd much rather be there right now than here. And yeah. I'm home. I love home. Yeah. I love being home. But to have my daughter, Alyssa, or somebody, or my nephew, Chase, or be with your kids at a hunting camp, you were just at sheep camp with your mom. There's no better place in the world. Nope. I don't care if it's a beach or a mansion or Hearst mm-hmm. Castle in California. There's no better place in the world than duck camp. Well, no, you learn. You, 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 you come out of there. You know, you got your, your senses pick up on the certain smells. And then... You know, you remember those smells, whether it's the mold in the, you know, in the laundry room where everybody had stored their waiters, okay? And you, you, you have that. And then, as you're, then all of a sudden you're 45 and you walk into a room and you smell that smell from the, from, the, from the waiters back when you were 10. Well, your memory goes back to that and you feel good oh because my God. you live that memory. Then everything else comes back to you about those times with your buddies, you know, with Jackson, with Ford, with Burns, with with Foresight. You, all those memories start kind of flowing back, and you go, I got to get my kids into that. Yep. I want them to have that exact same experience. Pass that same thing on to them. I want to yeah. pass it on because I want my grandkids, Rico and Joey's boys, I want them or son, daughters to experience that. I, and I don't want that legacy to go away. Because my dad, no. he he built that. I don't think he really knew what he was building. No, but that's what was so awesome about him and my dad or somebody in that generation. They had no idea. They had no idea. To them, it was just them being a dad. And a provider. And a provider. A man. A man. Because they didn't, they didn't have the social media. They weren't seeing what other people were doing across the U.S. in a, in a moment's notice. Okay? They couldn't see it. They So they had what they had what they had to work with and they made the best of it and it was fun. Okay. And so today we need to do that for our kids and we need to have more experiences with that. And that's what at 50 now you were talking earlier, how you like to still go and blow it up and kill it and do all that. I do too, but um, you know, and I, I think in another eight years, you're 42, 43 right now in eight 30, years, 39, you're going to, whatever. You're going to do like I think I did. I eclipsed, okay? And I watched my dad when he eclipsed. And, you know, it's about that mid 50, 55, you know, age where it's just like, I, if I forgot the gun, it really doesn't matter. Nope. It does by not by matter. saying eclipse, I mean your hair got gray and you can't yeah. see anymore. <laughs> I definitely I definitely have eclipsed. Well, I well. want to make it clear you said that. <laughs> I said that I, I like to kill a duck. Right. I understand that it's what you're saying, though. I, I'm not saying that I've eclipsed. I still like to get after them. Right. But I understand the bigger picture, and I think that that's where you're going with that is that wanting to kill and and needing to kill and and loving to kill those are all different things and you can argue that all day long we're not going out there for the kill but if you go look on those grills right now 
that's why I kill it. Yeah. I like to eat it. So do I. But do I get fired up when mallard ducks pitch into my decoys sure. and, and put their feet down and drop and back flap? Well, heck yeah. yeah. I wouldn't do it if it wasn't if it wasn't like that. If it was just going out and shooting at a buffalo every day, I probably wouldn't do it unless I needed that meat to subsidize and, and, and feed my family. I'm not saying, you know, that I don't enjoy going out in the blind and watching that birds work in. I love that. That is the most awesome experience is to watch them birds cup over the tree or that flock of, or getting that tornado going out in the goose field or that big buck coming on. Uh, but I like to do it now with someone that hasn't experienced it. And that's what's, that's where that's we, just the most we started amazing, this. Con- yeah. It, that's the most amazing feeling when you look over and those, those four wood ducks or five mallards are coming into the decoys and they're cupped up and they're 15 yards in front of the, the blind and they're just backpedaling over my Avery decoys and they're sitting there and I tell, I tell the little ones, whoever it might be, could be Sally, could be Jimmy, could be Rico, Joey, whoever it is. And I go now like that. And they get up and six shots go off and one bird falls. And you're just sitting there and 15 years ago, it would have been cussing and all that other stuff with your buddy. But now I sit there, those kids, they don't care. No. They just sit there. That to them, they they got one. Now you're you're high fiving. They got one, you know. And it's contagious. It's contagious, and you sit there, and that's what keeps me young. That's where I can keep doing this. Why I keep going. Why I can keep coming and being part of your circus and hanging out with it <laughs> and getting it out there. Certainly. And you know these laughs, participating in these jabs, taking the ridicule at 50 years old, where those people where I'm from wouldn't even begin to think about saying some of the things that you say and (laughs) it's like and it becomes hilarious you know because i love it because i want to give it back too and so when you get to give it back that's where the social skills come from that's where the skill sets come from and that where people are losing today what keeps individuals youthful you know i mean if you're such a great point if you're a cranky the old 50 year old like we know some of them on your streets or you see them at, you know, walking around town. Um, they have, um, those individuals are not having a fulfilled life. They are not getting to experience things that we are experiencing today. And I can be honest. I can be truthfully honest with you. Fly fishing is another one of those sports that are, you're kind of doing your own thing. It's not that commodity. I love fly fishing. Okay. It's probably the most relaxing thing that I can have that I can do, but you are by yourself. You are thinking you don't want anybody within a hundred yards of you. Okay. Or it's like the cross is going on. them. it's like, get the hell back. You know, this is my stream. And, but it is, it's not, uh, uh like ducks, duck hunting. Duck hunting is really unique in that aspect. It is. And you talk about, there's, there's a, a, a format for everything with, all aspects of hunting but i've been in deer camps you know and it's laundry put your clothes in an oxygenated bag and 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 have one maybe one beer and eat dinner and go to bed at seven and wake up and sit by yourself all day i get it and you want to kill 180 inch white tail your bow that's awesome i get it but when you're in the duck blind one time and you're cooking breakfast and you're ribbing and, and going back and forth and, and you're with kids and friends and the camaraderie is just and alex touched on it when he first got here is that it's just different totally. duck, duck hunting is so awesome the fact and and, and we could talk about it all day and people that listen to us or watch our shows or pay attention to my, what did he say? Morning, noon and night posts that I do on <laughs> social media. 
they understand that we we love duck hunting and a success story that we can we'll end on this i got one more little thing after this and again we appreciate everybody listening to this life isn't for this life ain't for everybody ain't for everybody there's a success story that came out of rocky merlot cwa's camp in the last year and it got even bigger this week and i'm going to say this in a nutshell i met a friend that's now a friend through a friend drew wallace at oakley um Oakley sunglasses introduced me to this girl, Kayla Granger, two years ago at shot show in Vegas. They're all Rangers. They're all army Rangers. And her husband was an army Ranger and he was killed in a parachuting accident. And I believe Arizona on a, on a training drill, his family was there. They were getting ready to have lunch after the accident. I oh. mean, but before it wasn't obviously wasn't supposed to happen. He was jumping with his mother-in-law, his mother-in-law and, and, uh, he passed away and I met Kayla and we stayed in touch. And she's just awesome. Just this beautiful soul. Three boys. I think they range from eight to 12 years old. Football players, wrestlers. Hunt. Now they're hunters. And here's how the story goes is that she calls me after SHOT Show and says, I'd love to get my boys into hunting. Uh, well, they live in California. They live down in Southern California. Lake Arrowhead. Lake Arrowhead. And uh, I said, called Rocky. I said, hey, this the story I just told, I told Rocky. He goes, give her my number. Tell her to call me. Just like that. Boom. She calls Rocky. Next thing you know, she's up there on a duck hunt with her uncles and her brothers. Then she goes up there on a deer hunt. Now she's coming back for another duck hunt. She came back for another duck hunt this last year. Now she just joined the CWA and is leading up the the the, the Lake Arrowhead chapter. Lake Arrowhead chapter of California Waterfowl Association. Their first dinner is in July, and it's a it's a, a military. June, June, the dinner is June 29th in Lake Arrowhead. And what's it's a, a military themed dinner. It's a veterans veterans and youth themed dinner. Yes, veterans, and she's taking that on as as the the chairman of that chapter of CWA. A young mom in maybe her mid thirties, late thirties, thirty three with, with three thirty three with three boys. And now she is leading up a dinner at Lake Arrowhead for CWA and has all three boys loving hunting. And it, just as importantly, she's addicted to it now. Yeah. Very and that's, that's what pe- knowing people like Rocky to where he didn't even say, it, well, you know, my, my schedule's busy. I'm kind of booked up. I got farming going. He goes, give her my number and tell her call. It just happened again this year. We, we participated in the Cal, the, the UC Davis college camp at Bird Haven with Mr. Paul Bonderson, the girl that we hunted with, I called Rocky. I said, do you mind if I put her in contact? Because she's addicted. She lives in Southern California with her boyfriend. He goes, give her my number. And now she's coming to come up and goose hunt with him. Good. Amazing. The heart of a hunter. So that's the reason why I wanted to have Rocky on here and, and have you on here, Brad, and have Alex join in here is that the more people that we can introduce people like Rocky, get them introduced to people like Rocky. There's a reason why we hunt. There's a bigger picture, that bigger picture that Mr. Larry saw that my dad Orv saw. They didn't even know they were doing it. Maybe they didn't see the bigger picture, but there was something that came out of it to where here we are in 2018 in this studio talking about Larry Merlot, talking about Orbelling, talking about CWA, talking about the heart of a hunter, getting kids and women involved, becoming better providers, becoming better men, learning how to socialize, learning social skills, learning that there's more than an iPhone and a smartphone and an iPad and learning that, those dirt roads of America are so awesome and that we need to start paying attention to them and learning and knowing that there are people doing the background work that are benefiting us on a daily basis. The sooner we learn that the better off we're going to be right. That was the theme of today's 
podcast and I knew we would get into some politics and I knew we would get into some converse, conservation and farming and, and memories and camaraderie and laughs and ribbon and duck camp and everything that goes into it. Cause that's what we do. And that's what we live. And I believe that Rocky touched on it just five seconds ago. He said, we stay young. I really do feel that at 43 years old, I feel like better than I did when I was 25 because I have duck camp yeah. and I have the ability to take my daughter out and plink and shoot and blow a duck call. And she just got a new puppy, a new yellow lab. She named it Duff. I kind of helped her name it yeah. Duff, the bass player for Guns N' Roses. We already have Axel, but she named it Duff. She yeah. did. She loved the name, but she loves it. She's eaten up with it. She watches the foul life. She doesn't go, Oh, that's yeah. She, Tom will tell you this right now. Alex will tell you this. When she gets here tonight, she's going to go, where's the duck? I want to eat duck. She loves to eat oh, yeah. wild duck. I love it. It makes me like get almost teared up knowing that my dad preached that to us. And now here I am working with you guys and talking about Larry and good friends that you guys made the trip up to do the podcast and the fish fry tonight and the wild game feed and Alex. And we've been tight, tight, tight for so many years. That's what hunting does for me. Same barber. <laughs> yeah. Genetics. <laughs> Has he eclipsed? Bar 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 Barbershop <laughs> genetics. Just because Rocky got hair plugs when he was 24. <laughs> Brad's got the same barber, too. Hey, you're outnumbered here, bub. Yeah, you're outnumbered. <laughs> Me and Tom. Tom has got a beautiful... Look at that He's got a beautiful head of hair. Beautiful God, he's yeah. gorgeous. God, he's attractive. Rocky, you don't get to think at all. I'm just going to pop some questions. You got, you got, I'm coming down the line. You yeah. guys get ready. Favorite bird to hunt? Speckle belly. Brad. Pintail. Alex. Coyote. <laughs> Favorite bird to eat, Rocky. Mallard. Pintail. Speckle belly. Wow, I would have went with a speck. I can't believe that you picked a mallard over a speck, but I get it. Rocky, I'm going to leave this one up to you. Best call maker of all time when it comes to duck calling. J.J. Lairs. Joe Lairs. Genius. Yeah. Brett Crow owns it now in Chico, yeah. but Joe Lairs, you talk about a freaking badass jj lair's calls and just his his or i mean just what he means to that community in all of duck hunting and it's, duck calling the fourth we talked about it he thought ahead of his time yeah forward and they, thinking and they, and they 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 the industry followed behind he him. made his money in dental and in patenting yes. and 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 dental tools dental tools the first jj first jj lair's call i saw i think chris Ravencroft had one of the prototypes back in the late 80s aluminum yeah aluminum calls and he was blowing Before that thing polycarbonate and, or any of those well, there were the plastics were yeah. out. The plastics, the synthetics were starting to come out. The plat, you know, the old plastics, and uh, the Haydell, which hunting with those two guys this year was awesome. You know, part of duck hunting, the commodity. Uh, Louisiana the yeah. Haydells are awesome. Awesome, both brothers. Um, but JJ Joe Lairs and that aluminum call he made was just the craziest thing ever. Watching yeah. him make him on a lathe one at a time. Yep. Pretty amazing. important question in a duck hunter's mind. Where I'm going to relate this to where you guys hunt. Sunny or foggy or cloudy? Foggy. For a duck hunt? I love it. Hunting in the fog. Give me fog. With clients or for a personal hunt? It, it doesn't matter. You I'm like not. hunting in the fog? Well, well, I mean, you can't. The first two days of fog is no good. But on our third day, it lifts and we have high fog and it's epic. What about speckle belly? Same thing epic. on a goose hunt? Epic. So you don't want sunshine and wind? That's great if you have the birds in your area. But the fog puts the birds in our area, and then they, it stacks them in our area. Because oh. we're, we're unique in our valley because the fog builds from the bottom end of the valley and builds north. 
so as the fog's building, all the ducks are pushing ahead of it at night. And so when the fog finally gets to the valley, that's when it gets dense and high, when it gets up to our end, and that's when it starts lifting up and all the birds are stacked up there. So then our birds are just everywhere. I agree with them. I watch your, I watch your show and – yeah, you, we you guys know you always guys like want sun. sunshine and wind. I'm like, what are they talking about? Well, well yeah. Because I, mean, I, I was programmed for weather. I mean, we need stormy, nasty. As I get older, I don't like the rain as much, but I'm looking. But, but on the flip to that, from what y'all are saying, at the Brady, sunshine and wind. Yeah, in Mallard country. In Mallard country because of the north wind. <laughs> and you get that north Fog. wind and sun is Fog. epic down there. But up there in the rice field. Fog you, Rocky. But it's it's rice <laughs> you're talking <laughs> Rice hunting. Rice hunting. rice hunting. So rice hunting, you want the fog. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Hands down. By far. Does it matter? That's with... a pro tip, I think, right there. I don't know. A lot of people knew that. Yeah, I had no yeah. idea. Back in the day when it used to stay foggy in Chico for three weeks, three you would weeks, not see the just, sun. Well, we, it, we don't see that anymore. Back in the 90s, when we would hit the fog, we would do we would do double trips morning and afternoon. And you would sit there, and you would. it was a competition between my guides, is who could be done the fastest. It was literally like 47 minutes, 28 ducks. And it, it mostly, you know, widgeon, sprig, and some mallard teal. But you're, it, not, you're not saying that you shot over the limit, are you? No, I'm saying we were guide, oh, okay, good, guide parties. Good. And um, so never. Don't do that. Okay, good. Uh, he really doesn't. I know. Really I know he doesn't. I don't, I don't believe in it. I, I and he just, can't hit anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so I'm a fairly naive duck hunter. It, and you're relying mostly on calling then, right? If visibility is low or is it? It is. It's a lot of calling. Who's uh, but, calling? But they can, um, <laughs> the birds are, I mean, your, your visibility is literally about 600 feet. Okay. That's your visibility, four levees. And, um, but the birds are lost. By the time they figure out all the decoys and all that, it's too late. They're sucked into you 25 feet. So it's really good. I mean, the conditions for fog are great. Next question. Next question. Uh, <laughs> Next question. <laughs> have, have, you, have you ever paid attention to um, this girl named Maddie Nightingale? Do you know who she is? Have you heard of her? An amazing, amazing woman. She's a girl, but she's 14. So, uh, 15 now. I talked to somebody yesterday that watched the Fowlife for the first time, and they watched the California episode. And who is that young girl that can mouth call that good? I said that's Maddie Nightingale. She's yeah. she's an amazing girl. I met Maddie at uh, I met Maddie my first time. Maddie was five, five or six at the Gridley um, Junior Duck Calling Contest, and Maddie her grandpa brought her Vince to the duck calling contest, and Maddie came up on the stage. And no calls. And so I went to hand her one of my duck calls. And she just shook her head no. Shy little thing. Until she started doing her wood duck with her mouth. And then she just was in her element. She did this wood duck call. And we all just looked at her. And everybody in the audience went, whoa, that really sounds like a wood duck. And then she just evolved over the next six years by learning how to do all the our bird species up in California. And then she did the elk and then her and I, you know, helped her master the peacock and the swan. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it, this girl can do the what mallard. The, you you her, can do a peacock. Uh, yeah, I did. It Let right. me hear it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're doing a peacock sound when we're, when we're spec hunting. <laughs> no, that's a snow goose. It's, it's pretty similar. It's pretty similar. <laughs> <laughs> this this would be my goal and my dream with her because to me she's amazing. I think she's sixteen or seventeen now, maybe eighteen. Beautiful, fifteen, intelligent. Like just her grandpa's and Vince is awesome. 
it'd be cool if we had like a Maddie Nightingale babysitting service to where we let her babysit every kid in America and let them learn what you're supposed to be like be as like a teenager, yeah. right? It's like, that's a, she's an amazing individual. Maddie is a, 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 I mean, her, she takes Huntress to another level. Totally I mean, level. It, all of it, dove, duck, deer, fish, camp, being out in the wilderness. Family. Family. I mean, amazing. And, and she's an amazing volleyball player. I mean, strong volleyball player. Like Brad. Like Brad. Yeah. <laughs> I got a good vertical leap. <laughs> and uh, But, no, Maddie's just one of those amazing women that you'll come across. And I've got to be honest with you, Brad, or, or Chad and Brad. Say, yes, Rob. There are, there are, when I do these youth calling contests, I am, I am starting to see these kids boy or women that are going to be those aggressive duck hunters like ourselves sitting at this table. Um, you watch them at that early age at nine years old, 10 years old, then you get to see them the next year and you see them the next year and you watch their skills and you can tell they've been practicing. I mean, they're putting as much into their calling as they are into if they're playing baseball or football or whatever they're doing. I mean, they're doing it. And it's they, awesome. They're awesome. And now I got these 15 year olds that are standing on a call and they're doing cadence nonstop, just hitting every note, just, you know, hitting the pitches right. And I mean, it, it, you say you get chills on your arms and you get excited. When I watch these kids, when I saw them at eight and now I see them at 15, it's just like, it's like I was part of that. And that's why I'm so excited. When you see, when you guys see Chase tonight, he's seven. He turned seven, nine days before Alyssa did in December. He, ra he started crying yesterday because he saw a rabbit in my yard and said, tried to get the pellet gun out of my room well we had about five people over here and puppies <laughs> running around i'm like you're not getting the gun he lost his mind i want to get the rabbit uncle chad i'm like wow he's awesome yeah. Yeah. i don't like the crying part of it but literally he, he called in his first coyote and shot him he was sitting in uncle albie who's alex right here across his lap last year on tv you're going to see this with savage arms and federal premium ammunition pretty soon on this deal we're getting ready to produce for him at 87 yards, Alex, or 89? 87 yards. 87 yards at six years old with a, a broke down 22, 250. When I say broke down, shortened down yeah. for him. Sitting in Crosby's laps, called the coyote in, and smokes him on camera at six years old. And, it, and it's hilarious because, he, you know, I, I pushed the safety off for him. And I said, when you get him in the scope, go ahead. And I don't even think I finished the word ahead. And the trigger Damn. went off, and that thing dumped. He, like, he had been watching him the whole time. But with at awesome. six, awesome. at six. What about when you take him to like Almanor? Right? Yeah. As soon as his feet hit the floor in the morning, when he'll are we going wear fish? you out. When, when are we, are we going? Most kids are like, Under "Where's Brad. the phone? I want to go on the iPad." And he's like, "That's what's awesome." Clay's yeah. doing an awesome job, and that's. Yeah. I just, I'm not saying that it's the right way or the only way. Okay, I, it is the right way. I just think that the kids that are in the city and that they don't get to experience that. If we had a way to get them and reach them and get their parents to see the value of being on that boat or in that blind, or just hanging with Maddie at a calling contest and seeing how much fun she's having and the social skills she has. It's, it's just a cool way to live. And, and it's an awesome way to raise your kids. And that's why we did this. That's why I wanted Rocky. I could talk to Rocky on so many different levels. We didn't even get to Harry today. We didn't get to, to Lago de Merlo wine and how awesome their family winery is. We, we didn't get to talk a whole lot about the, the almonds. It's almonds, Rocky. Um, we didn't get to talk about walnuts in your farming operation. You got so much going on. He's a Renaissance man, Renaissance man in California. And it's because of Larry, Larry instilled a work ethic into Rocky. Larry instilled a lot into Brad, 
Alex's dad is instilling it to this day into him. And my dad did the same to us. And there's a reason why we're all together. I truly believe that, that good people find each other. Work ethic finds each other. And I think that with everything that you're doing, Rocky, as a man, as a father, as an uncle, as a, a pretty like a really an inspiration to a lot of people in that California area, you get you will hear somebody once in a while say Rocky's got the life. Yeah, Rocky created a life for himself because he kicks ass and he works hard and he knows how to treat people and he takes care of people. So with that being said, with everything that John Carlson and Scott Mueller and Holly Heiser and Jake and Mark and Mr. Tom Barry Hill and everybody that represents the CWA, the volunteers, the banquets, all of the people that are involved in this egg salvage program, the youth camps, all of the hunting camps that CWA puts on the women's camps, everything that is going on at California waterfowl, get involved. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Everybody, all of you volunteers with the CWA, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have a lot of the knowledge that we have and the data that we're collecting on a daily basis. Thank you. Thank you, Rock. Brad, you the man. I'm ready for the fish fry. Alex, you the man. You're my boy. And this life ain't for everybody. Rocky's life might not be for me. It might not be for you. Brad's construction life and hunting passion might not be for you. And the way that Alex lives his life may not be for you. But that's not what this podcast is about. There's a lot of different walks of life that come together because good people find good people. Work ethic finds work ethic. And hunting is the common denominator that's brought us all together. I'm Chad Belding, your host. Tom Rashichuk, thank you for producing another awesome two and a half hours of non-stop gibberish it's time to go make fun of the way rocky eats his spaghetti <laughs> slurps it up Tom. thanks for lunch what, was lunch supposed to be two hours ago because i don't think any of us have seen it yet <laughs> tom will you please start the song and play us out Gosh, go this life ain't for lunch, everybody tom? thank you <laughs> brad listen is it oh yeah wait put those headphones on oh yeah oh yeah listen Carrot, when Carrot gets a hold of this, he's gonna love it. Listen to this. See you rise in the morning sun. Is this the beach? Me in the pouring rain. Wait till the hook comes. Is that? Hey, Brad, here comes the hook. Now it's after this. No, it's, it's coming up, though. <clears throat> I could just see Rocky at his 50th birthday party was dancing. He looked like a mix between Worms or on Revenge of the Nerds and Urkel. <laughs> I got to turn this for Carrie. Is this on outside? Here it comes, Tom. It Listen. <laughs> this was the party in Chico back in the no, day. No, this is like this is the floor. This is the boat. You, the, <laughs> this, is this and the Pina Colada song by Rupert Holmes. If you like Pina, this is what we listen to on their boats at Almanor. You talk about a party, boy. This hey. is what we get there. <laughs> Thank you for not inviting me. But, Jason Carrier and Tyler Marsh. But right? we also do listen to Pitbull options. <laughs> I got, I got, I got options. Mr. 305. All right, this life ain't for everybody. Chad Belling, Rock Merlot, Brad Forsyth, Alex Crosby, our producer, Tom Rashishuk, everybody here at Foul Life, TFL Productions, Bandit, Avery, Greenhead Gear. Thank you all very much. Until next time, we will see you later.